Hello and welcome back to Zapped to the Past and our coverage of the games that were reviewed in issue 3 of Zap 64. I am your host Adrian Mills and I am joined by my good friend and C64 evangelist Graham Raddings. Last week we looked at our first batch of games from this issue and were energised by the excellent drop zone, wondered who thought putting a kid's TV favourite in a dull sewer adventure in Roland's Rat Race and had our senses well and truly abused by Circus Circus. If you haven't listened to last week's episode then I suggest you go and do so. One last thing, please to know, is that there are a couple of swear words that do crop up every now and again. We're not the sweariest of podcasts, I have to say, but there is the old little one that does slip through in the heat of the moment. It's nothing major, but if it is an issue, then obviously please be warned that the odd one will slip through. Let's get on with things. Graham, tell us what we have to look forward to in this episode. We have crammed a lot into this part. We get lost and entombed. We look at the glam rockers that are in Taskmaster and wonder why. We wonder what on earth a whirly nerd is and how you can make a game from one. We dive into the classic that is Gribbley's Day Out. We wonder at the craziness of the hunchbacks at the Olympics. Why they even did that, we don't know. And of course, we've got Ghetto Blaster, Feature Feature, Conan the Barbarian, Operation Swordfish, Boulder Dash 2, and of course, Crapverts. We couldn't have packed more into this if we tried. Awesome. So let's get on with the games. Uh, let's crack on then. Um, so we're going to crack into... Uh, Zap gave two gold medals this issue. This was the first time they'd done that. Um, I'm not sure if they ever do it again. Maybe they do. Um, I'm not, I don't know. Um, but their second gold medal was given to Ultimate. Ultimate play the game. Uh, the uh, game Entombed. Uh, Entombed, I believe, is the first... Is it, what's his name? Oh, I can never remember his name. What's the character's name in it? I should have made a note of this. This is terrible, terrible podcasting. Um, there's a guy who's he's in Black Witch, Entombed, Safakana. He has a name? <laughs> he has a name, yeah. The character has a name, yeah. He's, he's, he's a character. He's in all three of those games. <laughs> anyway, Ent- Entombed um, is uh, Ultimate C64, you know, uh, a range of adventure games. So on the, uh, Ultimate were, were known for their Spectrum games, let's face it. Uh, your, uh, you know, Sable Wolf, your Night Laws. Uh, and that kind of thing. They were known for these kind of crazy, you know, the Stamper Brothers made these uh, incredible games on the spectrum, these isometric arcade adventures, all these top-down adventures. Um, and on the C64, different thing. They went for a different route, um, and we got games like Entombed, Black Witch, Staff of Karnath, which would come later. Uh, Zap really liked Entombed. Uh, they gave it a gold medal. Um, it's decent visuals. Uh, they're nice, they're big, they're bold, they're detailed. Uh, basically what this game sees you as is an explorer um, in a, uh, a jumpsuit of some description um, and a cap stuck beneath a pyramid um, and all the sphinx uh, in, a, in a sort of maze uh, like structure where you have to adventure your way through finding some items and trying to figure out the puzzle to escape from underneath uh, the maze and the visual, visual uh, the riddle of the sphinx or whatever it is. I don't know uh, the visuals are big they're, you know, they're colourful they're nice it's very smooth animation and that nice scrolling um, and it looks the part and, and at first this is, this is quite nice the opening room has a nice little puzzle where you've got to for some reason jump against an eye um, which are, you know, once you figure it out, okay, yeah, fine. And these two two statues open up to allow you into the game proper. And at that point, you realise that this is an utterly annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, there's, there's enemies constantly respawn. Four enemies in particular, 
there's a there's a there's an annoying scorpion. There's a really fast mummy. There's a, a mosquito and there's a raven. Uh, they just you, you wander around uh, samey corridors full of hieroglyphics and stuff. To be fair, you know, don't get me wrong. This looks nice um, and it runs really smoothly. This is some competent programming and everything like that. But um, the, the 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 constant respawning of these enemies it grows so tiring so quickly. Um, it's not just energy sapping in the fact that your character in game has their energy sapped as they hit you. It energy saps you. Um, you do have a way to overcome them. There's the first room you do find uh, has a small little um, puzzle sort of thing where you got a quest. It actually uh, was like a 3D Donkey Kong where you have to jump over uh, essentially barrels as it rolls mm-hmm. boulders. And you get to a chest and you get a whip. Um, because of the Commodore 64's lack of input, you have to switch between jumping or a whip. Um, you can't do both. Um, so because this is, you know, this is in 3D, so you can move up, down, left, right. The up is you, so you can't use that for jumps. You've only got one button, and that's that. Um, once you get the whip, you can then whip the enemies. Um, but this, they, they happen so fast. You then, my, on my playthrough, I then got to another room where there was a spider. Uh, I wandered around. There was, a, there was a statue. I got around the back of the statue and got stuck on the geometry. Couldn't move. Couldn't get out. Done. I was just done. Um, I, I did give it another crack. Um, tried going a different route, thought, oh, maybe you've got a different route to go sort of thing. Didn't find a whip, got killed. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's not fun. Um, I, 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 my, my opinion of this is, is this sort of thing, is that I, um, I can't help but feel that, the, that C64 owners wanted this to be good and in line with Ultimate Spectrum games. It was almost like, oh, you know, a bit of uh, envy, for what the Stamper Brothers were putting out on the Spectrum, and they wanted a oh, ultimate. You know, they, they make great games, and I think this was a bit of, um, you know, yeah, King. You know, the you know guy, the king with no clothes on, um, that that kind of thing. Um, and and it's just not. It's it's nowhere it, for me. This should have been nowhere close to a gold medal. Um, it's it, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm being too harsh on it. I don't know, but I just could not. I couldn't. It was the constant respawning. It just, it's just, it's really samey. I don't know. Am I wrong? You tell me, Addy. What did you think? Um, I quite liked it um, <laughs> compared to that. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so it's a little bit different from the others. Um, this isn't a collector mall game. Um, in this game, you've basically got to um, get out of the tomb while you've got air. And you've got to solve the puzzles along the way and then try and deal, avoid, or otherwise get out of the way or fight the enemy types. Um, you've got to sort of make your way out. Um, you can defend yourself with the whip. Uh, and it is in that kind of isometric style. Um, it's, uh, by the way, it's um, main character is... Um, Arthur Sir Pendragon. Arthur Pendragon, yeah. Sir Arthur Pendragon. Yeah, it's just come to me. So... Um, and there's other games in this series if you like if you like this kind of thing. This is different to the previous one. So Stafford Carnath wasn't quite like this, and neither of these games, by the way, were created by the Ultimate founders Tim and Chris uh, Stamper. These are no, they were. Um, these are Dave and, and Bob Thomas, Robert Thomas. I can't I think it's Bob Thomas anyway. But either way, I think it was them that made this and the previous one. So there's a different approach to them. I'm not normally a fan of these things, but the kind of the super colourful graphics kind of hooked me, and it kind of really felt the part. I've always kind of liked Ultimate Games. I don't know why, really. 
Um, <laughs> but um, I do. Uh, for some reason, uh, uh, even to this day, Attic Attack remains my my absolute favourite Sinclair Spectra game of all time by a country mile. Um, and Sable Wolf to some extent, but I like those kind of games. So this has that kind of appeal to me. It's got a central character and you've got to do things to get out. The only letdown here, really, um, it is difficult. There's no denying that. It's a very tough game. Um, and there's, some of the sprites in the game are quite blocky and a bit bit basic. Um, mm-hmm. So some of your enemy types that come along, the beetles and the other things like that, they're a bit. They're just a bit... You just expect them to be a bit better. So even on that very opening screen where you've got those two sphinxes that sort of move left and right, I mean, they're just kind of really big, chunky, blocky. But you know what? If you just go with that and accept that that's the way this game plays it out, it actually runs pretty fast. Um, but it is just a, you know, get out the get out the tomb before you die game. Um, and you'll either like it and you'll play it till you get out the tomb or you'll very quickly switch it off. Um, there's no real middle ground with these games. It's an interesting pedigree of games that The Ultimate come out with. They seem to really embrace the arcade adventure style game um, and mm, seem to replicate yeah. that on pretty much everything they do. So you either like it or you don't. Um, but unusually for me, I actually had a bit of time for this. I think just because I kind of got hooked in by the colours and the, 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 the playing of it. I just, you know, it kind of intrigued me. I wouldn't say it was something that I would go back to a lot. And it's funny enough, I didn't play any of them. Back in the day, I'd never played this. I'd never played Staff of Karnath. I've just avoided them. And I think because I associate Ultimate Games with really small Spectrum-style you know, graphics, high-res graphics and colour clashing, and, and I don't mind it, really, even on those Sinclair games. They kind of work. I like mm-hmm. the speed of Attic Attack. Attic Attack is a frantic, fast game, a really good yeah. little game. And Sable Wolf's the same. You know, there's a lot of going on. There's a lot of movement. You're running around quite quick. And so... I like that, and I think this is sort of like that, but not quite. But it's, you know, it's okay. I don't. I would agree, though. I don't think it's a gold medal. I think that's being a bit over generous, especially because they're quite critical yeah. of it as well. Um, yeah. Rignall, Rignall in Zap doesn't particularly like the graphics either. So I think it's did it over overall. It's got an overall score. Or something did it score higher than Drop Zone? Yeah, we, it, which is that's what I mean. I don't believe it's. It's certainly not. It, you know, if you'd have given this project to Archer McClay. Yeah, I, th- it's, I think there's, there's, there's. I think you, you're right. There are, there are things in it to be loaded, sort of thing. The, the big, bright, you know, main sprite, the, the backgrounds, the smooth scrolling, the, the, visual, you know, it, it, it's nice. Don't get me wrong. I'm not the presentational wise, and you could tell that there's some, you know, in comparison to the horror that was Circus Circus something. This is clearly well programmed and well put together and well made. It's just from a design point of view, um, this would have been much, much better sort of thing with less, less enemies. Let me explore. Let me, you know, think that this, this tomb is abandoned. Enemies should be used sparingly, mm. and 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 at times like, you know, be events, be things like, oh, you've got to press this. So it's like you're wandering around trying to figure stuff out. And would have been a bit more better, but some more puzzles. I mean, the, the night law games, it's just sort of, you know, the isometric stuff. They're heavily puzzle based. This well, seems this, there is a lot of puzzles in entombed. Loads. You've got, yeah, you've got, maybe I just didn't get past well, the second one. Well, I was going to say, you've got, I, I, but, there's seven, remember, there's seven floors to that tomb, so it's, you've got to go up seven levels to get out. What happens when, did you get past the spider? Yeah, yeah, I got quite, I, got, I was playing it for quite some well, how, time. How did you get past, how did you get past the spider? Because I couldn't figure it out. It didn't matter. It, it, to me, it was just, I think it's it, when I got glitched onto the scenery and couldn't move. Yeah, that, that when things like that happen, that does ruin it, I have to say. Um, um, and, you know, some of the, some of the, um, I know it's a, a quirk sort of thing, but you know, if you're making it in 3D, then in that sort of slightly from the side 
3D sort of thing. When I walk to the side of the screen, I expect to go behind the wall, not in front of it. Little visual glitches like that are a bit annoying, and it could have been better. But I, I don't know. It's just I don't think it was for me. I, I, I don't particularly think I enjoyed it back in the day, and, and I, this didn't enamor it to me. It's just it's it, you know if you dig these kind of games, there are there are a lot of worse sort of thing. This just if they'd have toned down the bloody stuff in the corridors. Mm. I would have been more forgiven of it because um, I, I, I like you know I like a game with some puzzles that I've got to figure out and prison on sort of thing. Don't put stuff between me and the interesting stuff that is actually mm. really that's that's rote and boring and dull that constantly respawns. Um, that's the bit that got me with this um, from a design point of view. It, it suffers from it suffers from like it's it it's nineteen eighty five and they think people's attention spans will 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 evaporate if there's nothing to do every two seconds. Yeah, I think you. the reason that they, the games of this type work on other platforms is because you are picking stuff up and collecting it and having to go back and revisit and do stuff, and you've got a finite series of rooms. The puzzles on this do, and the corridors, because they're quite samey and because you're in a tomb that has similar graphics and similar look and feel all the time, it mm. does get quite unvaried a bit boring and you know you can feel like you're just trapped a lot and and there are times in this game where it does feel like there i mean even that opening puzzle just as an example no you you more discover that by accident it's not like it's a puzzle really it's just a place you stand there's no obvious (laughs) indication that that's going to open that door you just you just i just happened on it by pure chance oh absolutely yeah i was just jumping against everything yeah because that was all i could do at the point i was thinking well i have to jump so you jump against the eye and then they yeah. open. It's like, and oh, okay. That's what I mean. And it's that kind of, that isn't a puzzle. That's just, you know, a game, a game of chance. And how many people would have switched that off before they got to that by just not figuring out they couldn't do anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, do you remember, I think maybe we'll look at this later sort of thing, but the opening room to V. Yeah, yeah, you, you got to solve the code for the door to get out. Yeah, yeah. with absolutely no, no basis to what that code would ever be. It was just random, pure luck chance. Yeah, in fact... Um, that uh, prompted me to return V once I'd bought that um, back to the shop because I said it didn't load, and I got Green Beret instead. So there you go. Oh, good choice. Should have got Green Beret in the choice. first place. But there you go. Anyway. Should have done, yeah, absolutely. But you're a big V fan, aren't you? So, yes, you know, I yes, I am. Sadly, I know, but I am. I was a huge Green Beret in the arcade fan, so <laughs> yeah, should have done. There we go. So Entombed. It's a bit of a split. I think you like it more than I do, but I think we agree it's not a gold medal. No, it's not. definitely it's not, not a gold medal. No, it's not. All right, let's move on. But whatever Entomb did sort of thing, it's better than our next one. Um, so our next one is Taskmaster, uh, not to be confused with the show on Dave and Channel 4. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk about Taskmaster? So <laughs> Please do. <laughs> so the idea of the game is that you've got to complete seven challenges <laughs> of varying <laughs> things in order to rescue the princess I think I think it's a princess. So marry the king's it's daughter. The, it's, you got to marry the princess. Yeah, so, princess so, Kelly. Princess yeah, Kelly. So, so this has got hints of weirdly around this time. Um, Clash of the Titans is released. Uh, maybe two years before, around eighty three, and that features a um, a uh, guy that's got to go and complete a load of tasks in order to win the hand of marriage of um, of Cassiopeia. In fact, in the end, of course, he kills the Kraken a lot. But that's by the by. The end. This is kind of <laughs> sort of. It's got. It's kind of that kind of idea. So you've got these seven progressively harder things to do 
oddly enough, they kind of look the same when you do them. So I only ever got past the first one, first wave, because the first wave was kind of a stand and shoot the zombies kind of thing and just survive, you know, overnight and over a zombie attack. But each one of those tasks is different in its uh-huh. ideas. Um, and I thought that it was kind of stupidly hard, a, a bit of a fun for a very short amount of time, but okay fun, but it could very quickly get tiresome. The presentation of the game was kind of quirky and interesting. And the main sprite looked like a glam rocker. Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, <laughs> it was just sluggish. The, the game was slow. And, you know, when you were running around, it wasn't like it was frantically paced running around shooting zombies. It was kind of like you were running through treacle a bit. And, uh-huh. and I tire of that kind of thing so quickly when, you know, when that becomes the thing that kills you in a game because you just can't run fast enough to get away or... It's a bit unforgiving. The angles were weird on the game as well. You know, you were trying to shoot at crazy angles and it didn't quite... The maths didn't add up in my head. So it was fun for a, a one level. But I wouldn't yeah, have... I never I, would have persevered for seven, I, ever. ever. No, I, I, I mean, I, I, I got to level three. Um, so I got to the third challenge. Um, so the first one, yes, is you shooting a load of zombies. I did, you know, I, I like the, you've got to just last the night yeah. and the moon, you know, sun goes down, moon comes up and sun goes down, yeah, moon goes down, sun goes up. Um, I did quite like the idea that you could shoot in eight directions. I mm. thought that was, you know, a nice sort of thing. And, and you know, it had the, a sort of pseudo 3D-ish style sort of thing. And they, the zombies would get into a point sort of thing where once they were walking at you, they were walking at you in the right direction. So we kind of knew which way to shoot. Yeah. First level was pretty, pretty easy. You got through that. Was okay. Sort of thing. The second one, you had to shoot the wizard. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah, I died within about four seconds of that one. Yeah, I died first of all, and then the second one, so I managed to survive, and then just get a lucky shot. And he only takes one shot. So you kill the wizard. I managed to kill the wizard. The third one um, sees you... Uh, you have to pick up four cups that are scattered around the, 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 the screen. Um, and I think you're... I can't remember. You're avoiding, some, you're avoiding something, whether it's bats or spiders or something like that. So... And it's this is where I couldn't get past that thing. But the animation when he looks when he picks up a cup, um, when I pick up a cup sort of thing, I just bend yeah bend bend up one knee sort of thing, pick it up one hand sort of thing. This guy bends down to look like he's about to take a dump in it. <laughs> um, he literally bends down like he's sitting to take a crap in these cups because he bends down with his feet on either side of the cup and he goes right down. Oh, weird! Like a squat. <laughs> it's really odd. Yeah, it's a squat, and it's just you know this is two D, so it's just it looks like he's about to uh, shit in a cup. Um, which is kind of weird, sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I didn't get past this level. I didn't want to see what happened next. Um, and I don't. Sure, I'm not sure Princess Kelly wanted me anymore. That's either, it. Kelly, that made me laugh. Princess Kelly. Uh, well, Princess Kelly at the behest, and you've got to do this sort of thing at the behest of King Otto. <laughs> <laughs> Who um, names this stuff? I don't know. I can only presume because Otto was the name of the bouncing ball, one in Berserk. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's coming from there because this maybe slightly single screen shooter. Trying to do stuff. Yeah. Maybe there's a Berserk reference. Oh, there's, there, there is a bit of Berserk in that first level. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So maybe something like that. Um, no, I couldn't get any further. I didn't want to get any further. It's unusual. You know, um, it's really, it's really, it's a really unusual game. Like you said, the presentation is weird mm. um, and odd and kind of, kind of a little bit endearing. It, it, you know, it, it commits to the cause, should we say, that this is some yeah. very, very strange sort of, um, you know, medieval. Hey, nonny, nonny, um, kind of thing where you know all the all the, the the font is very that kind of thing and the language used and trying to sort of do this sort of thing and, and, and you know it's it's unusually different but I'm not sure it's good it's kind of an oddity in what we're seeing it's quite different uh, but I don't think it was actually 
you know, something I would ever ever go back to or could recommend no. apart from just trying to get to level three and see him take a dump in cups. <laughs> that's it, really. <laughs> that's a Taskmaster. Just a weird one, a really weird one. I think this is just representative sort of thing that, that games were at the time, you know, they were some of them were really weird, <laughs> really odd, really odd, really odd times where anything was worth a go, even, you know, glider riding. Yeah, absolutely. And this is the the same guy, by the way, that made this, made the game High Noon in 1984. Ah, well, there you go. I bet you, I bet you involves two glam rockers. Actually, High High Noon is very. This is very similar to High Mm, Noon. Yeah, well, that's something tells me that he's maybe reworked his code a little. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, with bigger sprites. Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, because High Noon, you walk in eight directions shooting at you. Yes, and the the backgrounds in High Noon are alarmingly similar. Only they don't yeah. feature they don't feature a castle as such. So it's Housemaster. Yeah. Alright, so our final one in this section um is the strangely titled Whirly Nerd. This rang rang a bell somewhere in my head, sort of thing, but I never played it, didn't know anything about it, gave it a go. It's a strange old game. It's a platformer. Um, in the sense, if you don't jump as much as you hold down the fire button to, s- what? How do you describe this game? It's a, it, okay. So Odd. imagine a platformer, a scrolling screen platformer, where your main character is pretty big, um, and he's some kind of weird uh, humanoid character with a big round head, and on top of his head is like small uh, helicopter blades. When you hold down the fire button, they you know spin. And then it hovers you upwards. Once you let them go, though, you have to land on the floor before you can start hovering again. So you can kind of jump as high as you can go by just keeping down the fire button, but you better not let go because then you're falling. Um, so this is weird. It's painfully slow. Um, you have to collect stuff. So, so essentially, or you're not collect stuff, you're actually trying to feed them. So I've put a, a, a dull platform feed them up. <laughs> There's so many different genres coming out today. <laughs> peck them up, peck them up, feed them up um, in this in this uh, this issue. Um, so you go around this thing. I didn't like. Um, it's too slow. It's painfully slow. Um, it needs more pace. Um, I didn't like the small screen area because you're so big um, and well grown. Um, <laughs> I didn't like the, uh, the the fact that you took up so much screen screen space and the the. the, the you know, the border was so enclosed. They, like, clearly couldn't scroll the entire screen. And I thought that was annoying. So I couldn't... some points, I couldn't see what was coming. And, and the fact that it didn't start scrolling until you were ridiculously close to the right-hand side of the screen uh, meant that you you couldn't you couldn't react. Yeah. Um, and, and so this, you know, unusual atmosphere, strange game. I, I put, it's not exactly sure what this game is trying to be, and it seems stuck in between worlds. It, it didn't know, you know, is this an adventure game? Is it a platformer? What is this? Um, neither of which it's doing particularly well, I think. It's an, I put um, my notes here, it's an odd little sort of game in a way. Um, so like you say, you've got to fly your kind of nerdy looking helicopter headed chappy around collecting stuff and then get to the next level. Okay, that's the game. Um, I thought there's some nice ideas in there. I like quite like the way the game level timer worked because you're on a timer obviously, mm-hmm. and there was this kind of sound effect that kind of either i think i can't remember if it, if it was a sound that kind of uh, scaled up or it's the sound that was going down but it was it was the, the sound was kind of tied into the game level in a quite neat way um, mm-hmm. and so it made you feel like that you know as it, it sped up i think as the timer got closer to the end of the time that you had for the level you know you, you started to get a bit panicked i quite like the graphics on the main sprite that I mean you couldn't yeah, really yeah. Mi- you couldn't really miss it because it was took up most of the screen <laughs> 
Yeah, um, exactly. And like you say, that annoying, you know, position of the scrolling really did make the game more or less unplayable, really. I like the way you controlled it with the floating and the flying. It quite, like, it's just quite different, but it was really buggy and twitchy. Um, it didn't, you know, there was, it was clearly some bugs to work out of that game that hadn't been. Um, and I suppose that the very best thing you could say about it, that it is quite colourful. The very worst thing you could say about it is that it's just a lot of ideas that didn't work put mushed into one game that with a really, really weird character. Um, yeah. And odd is the best way I could describe it. You know, did I hate it? No. Was I aware of what I was doing? Not really. Um, <laughs> and, you know, did it have interesting game mechanics that made me think, oh, that's quite a neat idea. Yes. Was it used well in this game? No. No. I bet it's the game that came after that or maybe the one after that from the same person's hopefully finished and probably better than this, so... Yeah, um, but um, I think it's a, it's a game I played. <laughs> yes, I played it. I would I go back to it now? Is there um, you go? And I think again, I think it's one of those games where they've, they've created a character or somebody created a character, and they really mm, yeah. sort of really bought into it themselves, and just assumed that because it's kind of cute looking, everyone will like. Everyone likes whirly nerds, and it's like no, no, they don't. Yeah, what is a whirly nerd? Well, exactly. It's it's evidently a round headed. <laughs> helicopter, helicopter headed I don't know and like you say it's almost hard to describe what it is it's like it's a, it is an eat em up I guess it's a stuff of nightmare that whirly nerd well it is it's just there's some nice touches to this game It's but it's just you know, they're not in the right places in the places where you need to make the really good things happen it doesn't work and doesn't do it in the places where it doesn't need to do things it actually does those quite well so exploring new control mechanisms in a game that is unfinished is not a good idea but you know do other stuff and make the game better before you stick all the complexity of floating and not floating and jumping and not jumping and all that in it it's just a game I played I can't I can't go it didn't make me angry it didn't annoy me it's just it's just yeah. there isn't it yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just it's just a bit bland and yeah. a bit done. Bland, it's stuck yeah. in stuck and stuck and slow and just like yeah you know yeah it's the, it's there it's there's some interesting ideas that don't come off. Yeah, exactly correct. Yeah. Yeah. All right, there we go. So that's Whirly Nerd, Taskmaster, and Entombed. Uh, yeah. I think you liked Entombed more than I did. But I did. Taskmaster was like unusual. It. Unusual. Uh, there we go. Okay, so we're going to come back in a moment um, after this, uh, where we're going to look at uh, film uh, and TV uh, in July 1985. So stay with us. Okay, and welcome back. We are going to now look at what was going on in the world of film and TV for July 1985. Um, so let's start with TV. Uh, we're going to, this is gonna, it's the polar opposites. Uh, 13th of July, obviously, we've already spoken this uh, in the last episode, but it, you know, it's, it took over not just you know, music and the news and everything. It was big thing. So uh, live aid pop concerts are held in Philadelphia and London. It was, you know, we, we've spoken about this last last the last episode, so we don't really need to go over it again. It was huge. We know it was, um, and they did a, a really good thing. The one, uh, what I did want to talk about, though, sort of thing was this is in keeping with some things we've spoken about in a previous couple of episodes was um, the war game. Um, so this was, you know, uh, this was a. Uh, a show that was originally banned in 1965 because uh, it was about the aftermath of a nuclear attack. Um, so it wasn't shown. Um, it was part of the BBC's The Wednesday Play in 1965, but was banned uh, from the broadcast at the time. And it was finally shown um, on television in, as part of BBC Two's After the Bomb season. <laughs> 
happy. <laughs> um, happy, happy, after, happy. After the, yeah, <laughs> After the Bomb was a series of programs uh, to mark the 40th anniversary of the atomic bomb being dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it included uh, Nagasaki, the return journey, the first 40 years, uh, which was, uh, and, and the war game. Uh, so this was a series of sh- shows on uh, on subsequent nights, that on a Monday, um, and it was all about you know the effects of uh, nuclear bombs and nuclear war and that kind of stuff. So yeah, we've mentioned this before that the eighties were pretty paranoid times. Um, yeah, and this <laughs> this is just a further example of that. This is what it was like. Yeah, this is a, an entire week's. You know, schedule program and on, a, on one of the four channels that we had that was dedicated to nuclear bombs. Isn't it strange, though? I mean, it's just, it seems to me, there's a few things that just strike me as odd about it. The first thing is, who wants to celebrate that anniversary? Nobody wants to celebrate the 40th anniversary of a nuclear attack, I'm pretty sure. No, no I know, probably in not. The guy, in the tradition of Guy Fawkes, no, is that something that anybody <laughs> wants to celebrate, really? Well, no. at least Guy, so, Guy, Fawkes, well, Guy Fawkes didn't blow it up. No, that's what he I mean. Was so, stopped. But, he was stopped. Yeah, it? yeah, he's, he's celebrating a failure, in fact. But, um, so, firstly, there was the, who wants to celebrate, my, my notes of this were, who wants to celebrate the 14th <laughs> anniversary of an atomic explosion? Okay, maybe there's some niche market for that. Secondly, in a same month that you're doing a Live Aid concert to benefit of, you know, uh-huh. a charity concert, essentially, that's benefiting, you know, millions of people around the world and all of those things and all of that. To then, you know, double that up with, you know, the the meaningful um the meaningful part of that and then double that up with um this idea of celebrating nuclear attack just seems a bit counterintuitive of the you know and but it's BBC for BBC two had did did go for a bleak phase. They did. Mm, um, I know. In that mid mid to early eighties there was that the BBC two bleakness. Um, Channel 4 joined in a bit with it later, but um, yeah, not what you call happy, that is it, you know? It's not, no, I mean, and that's the thing, isn't it? It's just, you know, this is what we were, as kids, sort of thing, this may not be, but what else, you know, I don't know what was on BBC at the time, there's probably Panorama or something about joblessness. The the 80s were pretty bleak in the UK. I think what they were, I think what they're trying to do is, because nobody really, there wasn't news around at at the time of that, not really, there was news reels but there wasn't news so bad so nobody really knew what the outcome would be of a nuclear attack it was com- nobody done one before mm. so you know so there has never been one so 40 years later nobody would know would have known what would have going to happen 40 years later you could predict you no know, lots of agonizing death potentially and radiation <laughs> poisoning um but um there's probably some really amazing survival stories in there as well and all that kind of thing but just seems, you know, the 80s were obsessed with it, you know, and then when they, even when this dies off, they just replace it with something even more globally deadly. So, yeah, yeah, that we, they were, that's, so there you go. That's your, that's your TV highlights for July 1985. There were probably other stuff going on, but who cares that they were the, you know, it comes to something when it took 20 years for a, a TV show based around thingy to be shown, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, what it was. Um, in the world of films, released in the UK this month, <clears throat> We had Return to Oz. Did we like? Did you ever like Return to Oz? I didn't really like The Wizard of Oz that much. It's all no. right, but Return to Oz was weird, really weird, really. Yeah, weird. Uh, yeah. I remember the the, the round guy, the round yeah, the t- round tin TikTok. man, TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think it was seen as some kind of 
you know, big special effects extravaganzary type thing and like, oh, going back to Oz and I don't know, I think it was misjudged. I don't think people kind of like, I don't think, you know, there is a, a huge affinity for The Wizard of Oz and it, it, whether you like it or not, well, I think. Oh, right. There's some amazing stuff in it. Yeah, I think it, I think it does some things very, very cleverly. I mean, you know, it has, it's become, I don't know, it's just become one of those films, hasn't it? It's one of those mm-hmm. things. It's kind of a cultural benchmark, touchstone, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I think Return to Oz came and went. Yeah. <laughs> that was it, really. Yeah. Um, unlike our next one, which was uh, Police Academy 2, their first assignment. <laughs> Is this a rare, rare, the rare occasion when the sequel's better than the original? <laughs> Is it? Are you sure? I, I, I don't know. I do you know what? They're all kind of one film, one continuous film for me. They all, Is this, they're this all the kind one? of the same. Is the second one the Where Are My Eyebrows? Is that the second um, one, or is that the third one? That might be the third one. The second one is where there's the gang. Um, it's got Steve Guttenberg in it. It's where he joins Ooh, the gang yeah. to infil- infiltrates the gang as an undercover. <laughs> and and, it, and we, I think he has some really stupid gang name. I can't remember it now. But, uh, but it's got that guy, uh, quite a famous American comedian in it. He's in um, Scrooged as well. He plays the character in that. It's got, he's kind of... Oh, yeah, it's... Uh... Oh yeah, the... yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the guy. Yeah, uh, yeah he yeah. plays the sort of the main bad guy in it, um, and it's mm-hmm. it's got it's just the usual police academy hijinks. I think this is the one with um, where it's got the nut on broccoli. That uh, it that, has, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the... yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> so, <laughs> which ironically, sort of thing that the, the guy you know he would actually go on to join the police academy in Police Academy Three, didn't he? He did. He yes, becomes, he did he become... becomes a member. He he, he flips sides, sort of thing. It also has, you know, the uh, the obligatory aren't gay bars funny uh, with the blue oy- the blue oyster and, blue and oyster. The, the, the sort of you know the subtle homophobia and stuff. That oh my yeah. god, we've gone into a gay bar. This is yeah. terrible. There's a but, there's a man in chaps. <laughs> it su- it does suffer from the jokes that went on too long. So it's got a really tall black guy in it called Hightower. It's got a really squeaky voiced woman in it called squeaky voice woman who who will then shout at the end yeah who yeah. will then suddenly find a really loud voice it's got tackleberry you know the gun toting crazy that shoots everything on yeah top. and you buy those <laughs> and those characters are either endearing for you they are in the first film they're just a kind of a bit of a not well, boring joke was, too far the, here there was a change there was a change in tone wasn't there from the first to the second one i think the first one was a bit more of a sort of you know one of those um you know, there's a bit more boobage, should we say, in yes, the first yes, film. So it was a bit more, you know, that kind of like, it was a fifth, probably a 15, an AA or whatever it was back then. Yeah. So it was a bit more risque and a bit more like, oh, you know, there's a bit more sexiness and a bit thing. And they yeah. toned that down completely. I mean, there's the there's the blowjob uh, joke in, in the first yes. one sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of thing. And in Police Academy 2, they completely toned that down um, yeah. and made it, tried to make it more sort of, you know, you uh, PG family friendly comedy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which then set the tone for the obviously the subsequent million sequels um is it better i don't know i mean there's the bit where he bites a horse's ass in the first one so i think which you know is amazing so <laughs> see i thought that was the second one but they no, i mean they, they all the blend into one that, that continuous film someone get a proctologist yeah yes but I can't, I can't remember if the second one's got the same commandant it's got lazard but does it have the sergeant in it or is it is this oh, one yeah, Mauser yeah. in this one? Uh, or? Many, 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 many. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> yeah. It just, they all kind of become one continuous <laughs> yeah. film for me. So, this, you know, I wait for the bits that I think are funny when I... I always watch it when it's on for some stupid reason. <laughs> and I just sit there waiting for, the, waiting for the bits I've seen a million times and laughed at. So it's, I could just cut to those bits, really. You know, with, <laughs> you with the miracle of modern technology, I don't need to watch the parts that I've watched over and over again that I don't like. But there you go. <laughs> um, 
Moving on, uh, Police Academy 2 came out. Uh, I, I did go to the cinema to see that. I went to see that with... Uh, did I go see that with Gary? I'm bad. I don't know. I'm sure it was a PG. I can't remember. Uh, the Coca-Cola Kid is our next film. Do you know this film? Nope, never seen it. No, neither have I. So I'm, this I'm hensing really it might be sponsored. <laughs> uh, supposedly, um, I read the plot on, uh, on on IMDb, and it's something about... Uh, some guy in Australia who finds a place that doesn't have Coca-Cola, so he tries to advertise it or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm guess I'm guessing it's a it's a, it's a product placement nightmare. Um, like Mac but, and me. But, but you know, it was released. I have nothing to say about it because I have no knowledge of it. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the last one that was released, and I find it amazing that this got a cinema release, uh, was a film called Loose Screws, which is actually Screwballs Two. Um, so Screwballs this is screw. if you don't know Screwballs was the sort of Porky's Screwballs Lemon Popsicle sort of high you know uh, yeah, frat uh, comedy uh, wasn't it frat, frat comedy but you know sort of riffing off uh, Animal House yeah um, in, in the wake of Animal House's success there was loads of films about uh, horny um, you know teenage American boys trying to get trying to have sex um, yeah. In various ways, with many, you know, and that was it really. And there was just a slew of these films came out. And I'm amazed yeah. that this got a cinema release and not just straight to video. Unbelievable. There was loads of them as well. There was loads. As soon as Animal House really set the benchmark for them all. And then these sort of slapstick, screwball, you know, frat comedies. There was King Frat. There was, you know, yeah, there was loads think, of them. I think, I don't know if there was some Animal House and then Porkies. Yeah. In the way, in the way that, so I've been horror film like Halloween, yeah. and then you had Halloween was the sort of benchmark, and then you had Friday the Thirteenth, and all yeah. the crap ones copied Friday the Thirteenth rather than the good one, which was Halloween. Um, so I think it was a similar sort of thing in that you, had, I, 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 my memory maybe jaded sort of thing, and, and film stories may thingy, but I seem to think you had Animal House, uh, then Porkies, and then everything just riffed off Porkies. Yeah, yeah, I believe you're right. There was. Just a load of cheap imitations, really, with oftentimes one or maybe two of the actors from each of the films maybe made it into one of them as a cameo or as a bit part. Yeah. So, you know, featuring the guy from, you know, um, and there's just, there was loads of them and most of them were crap. So and this yeah. was no, this one would be no exception. You could almost write the book on what happened in it, you know, you know, insert boob scene in a toilet probably that explodes and <laughs> pe- peeping through a keyhole and boobs happen and then all of a sudden there's more boobs and oh my yeah. gosh did you see the boobs and then and, it, and, just... and it's strange that it would then resurface in the uh what is it uh what what were the the oh, the, the pie pie films uh you know american later on. pie american pie films yeah yes. it's that gross out comedy idea is nothing they call them it is these are the precursors to those sort of thing and they, they you know it's high school kids wanting to get wanting to have sex yeah, and in fact, if you think about it, even a film that we both are like that isn't in this list, but one that should everyone should watch is called Amazon Women on the Moon. And in the movie review section there, they review a film called Frat Slobs, <laughs> which is a bright, frothy souffle. <laughs> but the other guy, of course, says that it's pond scum. Pond and, that's, scum. and that's exactly what Screwballs 2 is for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that was, uh, yeah, there wasn't much going on. You were either entertained for a day with music you were depressed as hell for a week with nuclear war or you were depressed as hell with police academy 2 coca-cola screwballs 2 <laughs> and then and then and then wondering what the hell was going on with return to Oz. that was your films <laughs> good job it's, it's sunny out there I, I think that's the thing in it it's the summer um people are yeah. probably not you know 
people are out. I don't know whether it's a good summer or not, um, but, you know, obviously people were out and about, probably not watching this rubbish. No, I Uh, imagine they weren't. So there you go. Films, TV, July 1985. I hope you enjoyed that. Okay, and we are back. Uh, After Films and TV, we're back into the second part of the games for uh, this session. Um, And we're looking uh, at our first game, um, and this is uh, an interesting game. Um, I'll be really interested to find out what you think about this one sort of thing, but we're looking at Gribbly's Day Out. Um, uh, this is, uh, I think it's his, his first game, I don't know. This is uh, Andrew Braybrook, an Andrew Braybrook joint, uh, someone who we will discuss at length in probably a later episode, I am very, very sure. Um, Gribbly's Day Out, Graham, what do you think? I liked it. Um, and I didn't think I would. Funnily enough, it's one I'd, uh, I'd I've heard of it because I'd heard of all of Braybrook's games. Mm-hmm. I just never really got that far back into his game catalogue to play this one greatly. So, um, and for me, in my mind, I thought it was a lot. It was like Thing on a Spring. Obviously, it's not. Um, but I thought it had great graphics. The game is quite straightforward. You know, you got to collect your little griblets, I believe they're called griblets, and and get them back to your little cave and oh. safety. And you've got to sort of navigate your way through a fairly complex array of enemies and sort of um i, I want to call them it's like a maze but they kind of appear and disappear as you shoot them so kind of um i don't know what you call them but block but i suppose just blockages barriers of description barriers so you have to navigate your way you've got a kind of the game mechanic itself is that you can bounce and jump and you um so you've got to sort of bounce your way around and jump around and fly and I quite liked it in the way that you did that. It's really fast. I mean, the game, you know, the play, the gameplay is, is really nippy, which means it's fun to play, even though it's hard. And the controls are very unforgiving, but mm. that's kind of on purpose. Um, it feels like um, it's uh, a game that's uh, has got a nice payoff on it. It's got a really nice style to it as well. Um, and it is testing. It's quite a testing game. I think if I'd have had a joystick again, and instead of the controller that I was using, I might have fared a bit better. And those old games like that, they, you know, they're they're hard. They're really hard. But this is pretty. Um, it's a really nice animated sprite, the main sprite in it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I thought it was just genuinely good fun. I really enjoyed playing it far more than I thought I would. Um, and it had a really nice feel to it. It felt friendly and fun and, you know, it just, and it was light change from some of the others who'd played <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Um, so it was, a, you know, it was, it was day and night compared to something like Circus Circus, but just shows you that in the hands of an accomplished or well-versed programmer that the Commodore 64 was capable of some genuinely brilliant graphical feats of, of play. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like uh, Atchie McLean and people like Braybrook really, really flex their muscles and they just get better and better and better at it. So for me, Gridley's Day Out was a real win. I think it deserved the gold that it didn't get. I think it's a bit... I think it was unfair to give this a sizzler. Um, I think it perhaps deserved... Bet- well, at I think it deserved more than perhaps they gave it, especially considering there's an entire feature on the programme in the same magazine. But maybe that's maybe why. Um, or maybe they looked at it and thought it's very samey because you could look at it and say, actually, this is, you know, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. But, you know, you could argue that Entombed is no different to that. Entombed is, no, I don't know. What did you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I played it back in the day. I remember liking it quite a bit. Um, I do... Um, I think it's um, a digital game in need of analog input. Is yeah. is, is one of the things that I would like. I, I would really like because I think the the hover control, the the flying control sort of thing, it just it's just a bit too fiddly with a digital input. Yeah. You know, it's either on or off. 
um, yeah. with with some nice, you know, there's a, there's a I put there's a great game in here. The, the controls are just a bit too annoying, um, and I thought the, pe- the again we were, we spoke about this before sort of thing. The bounce penalty, yeah, you hit those barriers and bounce, and suddenly you bounced yeah. off another one, or suddenly you bounced off, and they did dead. And yeah. the, the penalty for the penalty for that is, is so harsh. Um, that's what kind of put me off. You don't, I think, um, you don't turn you the, each because the, the barrier is made up of triangles, isn't it? And each one yeah. has a like there's three nodes in it, so you can go yeah. up there and press the fire button and turn them off and on to navigate your way through yeah, it. That's right, which, yeah. which is clever. Which I really like that sort of thing. But the space you've got to navigate within those triangles is so small that the digital controls and trying to hit the right one, it's just a bit too fiddly. It's just a just it's like. There's a really great idea here that's just that's almost before its time. It needed an analog control. Um, yeah, you're right. The visuals are lovely. It's really nice to look at. It's got that Braybrook sound, all that sort yeah, of. You yeah, know, yeah. The, the way he does that, you know, the way he uses the SID chip, I think, is really quite um, unusual clever. and clever. Yeah, I think that's just really nice stuff there. Um, uh, and 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 it's you know it's it, it is pleasant to look at it's you know I, I like the design of the the griblets and the gribbly you know gribbly that is pleasant i just for me it was just i think it i think a sizzler is right cause i think there is a great game here sort of thing i just think that it, it needed a, a something you know this just navigation wise sort of thing just needed and i, I don't I, you know you blow bubbles and things like that and you can shoot stuff um i i just found myself painfully trying to navigate those triangular spaces um and and that and, and that just it, it put me off a bit because i just found it so um you know hard to have that precise control that i was hoping for analog you know a bit of analog input sort of thing where you can just hover nicely and move slowly but you know you're digital aren't you so you're off, you're off and on it's one or zero you can't mm. and i think that that to me is is what just pulled it down a bit. It's a it's a game in search of a better control system. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's you know it's early days, and this is, I think it might be his very first foray onto the Commodore sixty four. And what you know, if you're going to make an entrance, do it that way. You know, there were greater things to come from. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, without a doubt. Wrong. So I think you know. So maybe you know maybe um, to get a gold medal, like you say, for his first game might have been a bit over the top, but it certainly deserved its sizzler. And and you know what. You're looking at a very gifted programmer doing his thing again, and you know, we've already seen, yeah. you know, others when when they do when they do flex their muscles, they're great at this. Sort and I of think stuff. The, the good, the great thing about this game sort of thing is it's polish, it's finished. Yes, you can clearly see this is finished and polished, yes. and tested to a to the nth degree, and you'll see that in yeah. later games like Parador and things like that. But Grip to Stay Out feels like this feels like someone has tested this and and played it and knows, you know, and that there, there is you know a smoother to it that scrolling is so nice it's so smooth and so pleasant and just the feel of actually moving around when you can move around freely is pleasant and i like the dual mechanic you know land on the floor and suddenly you can move past everything by bouncing along that's really nice there's some really you know that that kind of dual control method and it works absolutely it's it's seamless it's really clever um you know when you're in the middle of a jump you just push up and you start floating you have a completely different control method Stuff can now attack you, hurt you, sort of thing. Or when you're on the floor, something you just bounce straight through it. It's great. That, all that stuff's yeah. great. It's just not. I would have liked less barriers. I think I just wanted a bit more of an open <laughs> playing area when I was yeah. playing. Um, I think you know that would have been uh, better. Just, just yeah. from my point of view, I don't know. Um, but it is good. It is very good. 
Um, and I think there's 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 um, I, I, like we say there's there's a lot more to come from him. Absolutely, um, which I'm looking forward to talking about. So yeah, that's uh, Gribbley's day out. Uh, we like that. We do like that. It is worth a look. So yeah, go do that. So from Gribbley's day out, we move on to uh, our next game, <clears throat> the unfortunate hunchback at the Olympics. Um, I'm, I'm going to preface this. I think we need a, a talk here sort of thing. And it's simply the, the question, what is it with Hunchback in the 80s? <laughs> We've done four four, four episodes. Um, I think there's been a Hunchback game in each one. There has. Um, what was the fascination with 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 Hunchback, with, with Quasimodo? What's going on? I, 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 what? I, I'm, I'm at a loss. <laughs> it's not... I don't remember this fascination with it, sort of thing. But there are four games, you know, that keep they keep making these things. And this was a um, an arcade conversion, as far as I'm aware. Um, yes, I think it is. So this is Hunchback. Oh, why would you put Hunchback at the Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what did? It's what a legitimate part, question. What part of Quasimodo? What part of uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame? Um, book sort of thing made someone think you know what would be good if he did 100 metres and a shot put <laughs> and other kind of events sort of thing and then what would make it what would make them think that oh if you do a false start we're going to punish you by these unskippable hilarious cutscenes where you get menaced <laughs> by toilet roll and toilets um, or get struck <laughs> by lightning I, I, I don't understand this game I don't understand anything about this game. And my final comment on it is a game that should never have been made. Yes. Um, there's, there's, the, the, the graphics are... Um, oh, you go, you go, because I don't, I don't know what to say about it. Well, I just put that... Um, I put goodness, an, an E&D alarm must have gone <laughs> off somewhere in the world. Um, why does this crappy game exist? Why? Mm. You know, at the end of the day, you, you, you're basically putting someone with a deformity into an into a humorous Olympic setting and then playing humorous Olympic anecdotes around their inability to do these sports in any particular great way. I think that's weird and offensive, and it re- remains so. Yeah. So I have nothing nice or great to say about this game. What surprises me is that it exists. Um, but again, we've said it before. But even even at the eighties, you're at a stretch here. You know. Um, Take you know you you can't imagine taking any other physical disformity or physical um, um, disability rather and placing it in an Olympic context for a goof. Yeah. It's just not funny. It's not funny to do that. You know, you, for re, you know, there's reasons why even Monty Python pushed the envelope with the upper class twit of the year, and even they didn't delve into physical deformities and physical disabilities as much as just sort of people being stupidly weird. Yeah. So for me, it's just a misfire. Um, and somebody probably thought it was really funny. I don't. No, and I—I I mean, if this was an arcade game sort of thing, I never I, in, in my time in the eighties. Did you? I never saw this in an arcade. Did you? Never, never, ever. No. no I mean, no. I was—I was completely unaware of this until I sort of saw this in here. Um, and when I was looking through the sort of list of games, I was like, Hunchback! What the hell? And then you know, a bit of, bit of looking, and it, it just—it's just awful. And it's. It, 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 and I think you're right, sort of thing. It's not just awful in, in its fact that it, you know the way it plays, the way it looks, the way it is, sort of thing. It's awful conceptually. Um, yes. You know, it, it's it's offensive and just it's unnecessary. Um, yeah. You know, it's 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 punching downwards of, of the highest order. 
Um, yes, and, 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 and I, 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 I don't even think at the time I would have. I didn't. I, I have no problem with the, the Quasimodo game and the Hunchback game. Um, those, you know, I find those they're, they're all right um, because they're not. This is putting the, you know, the Hunchback in the Olympics is just all kind of wrong, and I can't, I can't get behind yeah. it. And I, you know, I, I feel we would be remiss if we didn't go. Oh, good lord. Um, yeah. and, and, and call, it, call it out for that so this is I think you're right sort of thing a misfire on, on, on every single level yep um, and, 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 and that's being kind anyway let's move on we've already we mentioned this in our crap verts um, uh, last in the first part uh, this is Ghetto Blaster Hmm. Graham, what did you think to Ghetto Blaster? Can you can you sum up what your thoughts? Yeah. So the idea of this game is you've got to, well, the idea of the game is you've got to collect tapes, uh, demo tapes, and then take them. I think to a record executive. I think that's the premise. Yeah. Um, and in order to do that, you wander around the streets with a Ghetto Blaster on your shoulder, and you're able to make people dance by playing music at them. You've got to get batteries for your Ghetto Blaster, you can go in shops and go into houses, pick up the tapes and collect things. And guess what? You roam around a maze type environment <laughs> collecting stuff. Another one. Um, another one of those. Um, so that's the premise of this game. Graphically, it's okay. Kind of squat, small ledge, small sort of medium resi sprites. Nothing to write home about. Um, I just felt for me that um, it was dull. I didn't think that the music was great, which on a game but it's principally based around music and the music industry seemed really peculiar to me that mm-hmm. they wouldn't have got one of the many capable composers around at that time to do the music seems really strange. Um, so I have a feeling that the people who did the music um, thought they were great at it and they're not. So the music felt a bit dull. Um, in order to play the music, of course, you needed the battery. So a certain percentage of the game is sound free, mm-hmm. which is a bit yeah. weird on a game that's reliant on you being able to make people dance and stuff for part of its gameplay. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, there was there was the, the bigger question mark for me here was an ethic an ethical question, and a and a, a game that's you know set in a very culturally diverse world, um, and whether that they were going for trying to make a point with something or whether they were just playing stereotypes and spot the stereotype, and it treads a very fine line for me with that. Um, it's not I don't think it's a game that was consciously aware of it trying to be offensive in any way or you know being racially offensive. But the trouble is, if you play the racial stereotype game, which this does, um, you're on thin ice at best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm obviously I'm a white person, so play, I would play this game with a very different slant, I would imagine. Um, but uh, I would worry that a black person playing it might quite easily be offended by some of the stereotypical ideas that are in it, like that there's black people looting shops and being chased by police and, and stuff like that. They even use the term white boys in it, I think, or some, at some point. Um, it's just... I think there's a language and a, and a tonality to it which I found uncomfortable. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily intentional because of the time and perhaps the people were young who made it and perhaps they were trying to speak to the youth of that time with, you know, Y-O-O-F youth. Um, but I think this appealed to a certain niche area of London because the game's set in a certain niche area of London. Mm-hmm. And I suspect that there's probably a certain niche area of London's um, population that would have liked it maybe at that time, you know, Um but it just seemed to me that they they got the term ghetto blaster, throwing a load of stereotypes in it, 
and stereotypical things that those stereotypes might be doing and listening to and try to concoct something roughly about games and the music industry and you know it was certainly better than the last attempt at this which was give my regards to broad street which was arguably a similar <laughs> sort of game yes it was yeah um, i was thinking that while playing it um but um it, for me it didn't work but you know that, sorry the game worked as in it loaded and played but it just didn't me really feel like a really interesting game I mean, yeah and i questioned its use of of stereotypes quite heavily yeah, I thought. I mean, I've not sort of focused. I, I mean, I, I think you focus. Uh, you're you're right to, to to mention that all that sort of thing. I mean, I, and I don't think I've got much to add. In fact, I, I agree. Um, you 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 you're spot on, and, and I did find it a bit weird. I mean, when I saw the advert for it, and I saw it was in this this issue, I thought this is going to be an interesting one to look at to see exactly what it does, and it and it it, it didn't do anything inter- particularly interesting. I thought there was some there's some weird some weird stuff in it, some odd stuff. I mean, it's another flick screen collector up. Um, yeah. it's, it's another one of those. You go into flashing doors and towers, find tapes and, and moves around. I, I mean, it, it, it's okay. I mean, there, there are weird gameplay sections. I, I put it's, I, the, one, the one thing I put is it's not offensive in the way it plays, which I think is me sort of saying in every other way it might very well be. Um, yeah. And it's got it's got a decent central conceit, and and I, and I liked that you know what you were trying to do. Um, mm. um, I, I'm, I'm, you, I think you've, you've covered that sort of thing, but I, it's just not. I didn't think it was very well communicated. Um, yes, what you were supposed to be agree. doing, um, you know, and and very very quickly, I got very lost. Random, yeah. you know. I, I, in fact, I went down yeah. a back alley that seemed to never end, um, yeah. and then you come back out and you just where you started. I was like, well, that was pointless. Um, yep. The one thing I did like, though, did you go in the park? Uh, no, I don't believe. I, if I did, I don't remember what it was like. It, you'd remember sort of thing because if you go in the park and you go, you, you wander over a mushroom, you trip out. No, no, I didn't. I definitely didn't do that. <laughs> the screen goes all, the screen goes all flashy and okay. weird. It's like I trip in, and I did. You know, some of the sort of little interstitial sort of little uh, bits that pop up at the top, like oh, I'm jamming, and there was there was some yeah. nods to you know music culture and things like that that were yeah. okay. But I think yeah, I think it, in and of itself. <laughs> If you remove it from the, the the problematic aspects of it, sort of thing, which I know is a very hard thing to do, it's not that great a game in and of in and of no. itself. It's it's just a very very you know it's just another another one of them. Yeah, we, we've spoken about. Yes, um, but when you put that on top of it as well, it becomes a bit. Oh, I'm really not sure about. Yeah, this. I think like you say, it's it's for me, it's um, it's cultural, it's subcultural roulette, and like a Russian roulette. And so sometimes in those games, you're either going to get hit the nail on the head and everyone's going to get the joke, or you're going to be the brunt of that joke. And I think I'm not sure where this where it yeah, lies with I this mean, one. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if the intention behind it was sort of thing was to actually... Oh, I don't think it's intended, intended that way. I think yeah. it's just time. Time has twisted it that way, maybe. I think so, yeah. And I think maybe you know they, they were thinking like, oh, this is an interesting thing. We're going to do something with black culture and you know, and, yeah. and finding music and do things around black music and all that kind of stuff. And we're going to tie it into this. But I just think that... There are there are many parts of it that just don't don't work and and I, I don't know I mean again, again it's very British it's set in like you said it's set in a very British you know estate yes. in London it, it has those connotations God knows what the rest of the world may, may made of, would make of this um, but I think you know it's one of those there were, there were a lot of these kind of like council council estate collector mops yeah um i think their previous game if you look on the advert it was with seaside special i don't know if you remember seaside special, yeah i remember that but that was the yeah. same people who made it um and so it's another one of them it's just yeah yeah it's all right you know it is what it is yeah it's better than hunchback though 
Yes, at least it doesn't feature a hunchback. I mean, that would that would <laughs> that, no. that is true. No, that, um, that's you know. Then we're heading down territory that we don't want to go yeah, down. Yeah, anyway. I want I want I wasn't quite enamoured with the main sprite either. I thought it was not very well animated. No. Um, I thought it could have been better. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so that's our uh, uh, that's our offensive games part two out of the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll hold we'll we'll take a break there. Uh, I'll be back after this, where we're going to discuss one of the features that uh, that was in this month's uh, issue of Zap sixty four. See you in a bit. Okay, welcome back. Uh, we're now going to look at a feature that was covered in uh, that was done in this issue uh, uh, of Zap sixty four. Um, and what we've picked, we've already looked at his first game. That was Gribbler's Day Out. Um, we're going to cover uh, the initial part uh, that would go on for several months um, of the diary of the making of Paradroid. Uh, so, Graham, do you want to uh, tell us what this was all about? What was going on with this? It's actually quite interesting because. Andrew Braybrook um, was a programmer um, for Hewson, and they made quite a number of games on the Commodore 64 over a period of time. Braybrook was responsible for some of them. They were all quite big hits in their own right. And um, inadvertently, I, don't, I think, but, but clearly by design, if you read this, um, he created, I think, one of the greatest Commodore 64 games of all time. Well... There are there are others that are, there are there are others that are in that list, but for me that's what it is, and we'll cover you know we'll cover why in, in different episodes. But this is actually a really interesting diary of um, Andrew Braybrook, where they've asked him to sort of create a game a game creator's diary, if you want, sort of you know, and literally like a you know on Wednesday, May the first, um, Zap have asked me to do this, so I've got to keep a diary like a day day to day diary and a log of what he's doing in the game. Um, I like this feature because it's completely different to anything else that had ever appeared in any of these magazines before mm, never yeah. had they never had they gone to a programmer who and let's and let's just roll back the games industry acquired a number of years here so this is when there were publishers like Houston but you're not talking about companies that hired hundreds of people to make games they had one or two maybe three or four they had some sometimes they had in-house programmers in-house graphic graphic designers and stuff and so you're not talking about a big team. You're talking about one guy, maybe two at a push, that you know make these games. And so you're getting a really good insight into what it took to sort of um, figure out how to make, what to do, what the kind of process was. And that was all completely new and different. Because at that particular time in 1985, in fact, anywhere prior to that, it was all a bit of a myth, mythical voodoo technology that people played the games and loaded the games, but it was all nobody really... You know, nobody sat down and thought, I wonder how this was made. And even the magazines at that time, you know, all of those magazines that were the, the, the precursor to Zap, so you're all of your Commodore users and your um, computer video games and all of those, they featured lots of type-ins, code type-ins, which we've spoke about in episode zero for different games, including, of course, Hunchy. Hunchy, yay. But they but they, <laughs> they included all of those kind of typing things, but it wasn't about how to make a game. It was about how to type stuff in that made it into a game. So this was actually, it doesn't feature code. It wasn't like somebody sitting there explaining how they were moving graphics around with the graphics chip and doing this and that. This was a game designer, developer, programmer talking about how the things he was having to do to make this game work and just written in such a great matter-of-fact manner um, that it's quite refreshing to read. Um, so it sort of goes through the trials and tribulations on a sort of a day, not necessarily every day, but a day-by-day sort of blow-by-blow account of the kind of things that he's trying to achieve 
um, what he's trying to do. And I just found that, as a feature, really fascinating. And it's something that they carry on with. So this is the beginning of this. But it goes over a, a period of a few months, right up until the, the release, I think, of Paradroid. Mm-hmm. So, so it was actually hand-in-hand hand with the development of the game. And I found it, going back and reading this, uh, really, really interesting. One, because um, I've always been quite fascinated with the programming of the Commodore 64 and how these things work. But that isn't what this is. This was just, you know, the guy sort of talking through the things, silly things that, and silly things that have happened to us all when we've had a Commodore 64. So when the power suddenly spikes and you get the power <laughs> supply goes off, you know, periodically or it overheats and just some of the little quirks. And, and I think that's really great to see. It meant that the programmers behind the games weren't superhumans. They were just people, British little inventors um, that had a really talent, a real good talent for putting things together and starting to push the envelope on the Commodore 64 which Braybrook, um, with games that come ahead of this, really, really did. So I think it's a, a really great feature because um, it's a benchmark for this kind of thing in a magazine of this type. Um, and it shows that they weren't just about game sales and about that. They were about everything to do with the Commodore 64. They embraced the Commodore 64 with Zap in such an amazing way that it made you want to be part of that. It gave it that everyman kind of feel that anyone could make games or you could at least read about how the, how people were doing them in different way. And it demystified some of that. Um, I think it's brave of Andrew Braybrook to decide to do that. It's different to the Jeff Minter things because Jeff Minter had regular features, but they were kind of more moans and whinges about the games industry at the time and um, there weren't enough camels in things probably. Um <laughs> But um, I think this was the first time when I, I remember reading it back then, and it was the first time I'd read something that really made me think, wow, so that's how you make games. This is the process. These are the things you have to do. I didn't know you had to think about that. I didn't realise that was a problem. And just It was a real eye-opener. And it really led me down the path of then finding my own programming books and coding books and later down the line, of course, coding crappy demos, but either way, coding stuff on the Commodore 64 <laughs> in a different way. Um and it led me down that path. It just it was it was just great. That's why I think it's a great feature. Did you read through the feature? Did you find did. it like that? Yeah, absolutely. Because I, 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 I uh, it was one of those things I remember devouring at the time. I, I loved it um, uh, and was really um, interested in the, the 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 nuts and bolts of. Um, you look back on this sort of thing at the sort of ideas around early, you know, game game design tenets and stuff like that, and how to sort of engage with the player and how to make things work. And from a, you know, it, it's the way it's written is really quite, um, you know, it, it's, it's almost I don't know. It, it, they're not long, long diary excerpts for each for each one. I mean, it's just a couple of pages, but he manages to cram so much sort of character of what was going on um in in the creation of the game for that month and and, in, and that day and just what was happening i mean the little things about the shatterproof ruler shatterproof ruler and, and yeah. things like that and the cat um and 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 things like that and like you said the power spike um and getting annoyed that the you know having a fight about the visuals and the visual stylings and trying stuff out and what would work and what doesn't um and and this kind of you know, you would you would just come to games back then, and they were just there in front of you. You di- you didn't think about them being made; they were just there. You didn't think about you know twenty odd year old men in a bedroom or in some way sort of thing programming and slaving away for several months trying to make this, and you just get them on a turbo tape load and just play them. Sort of thing. there was none of the, the, the thought process behind it. You just did. I just didn't. Reading this, you know, humanized for me the 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 process of game creation. Um, it was a real eye opener. Um, and I think Braybrook was a was a really really good choice because 
whether they knew it or not, they found someone who was personable um, and, you know, could could encapsulate the challenges of making a game. No, you know, I, I've made games and, and I know that those those challenges, those things when days go wrong and days go right. And Braybrook just through through maybe it was pure luck or pure fluke i don't know i don't know whether how much these were edited but braybrook had a, had a had a you know a way of encapsulating you know in a really down to earth way that that process from day to day of just doing the the things you need to do because it because making a game is you know is really mundane it's really it's just a lot of hard slog to get things to work and everything you add on to the things you already got is going to break something beneath it, and 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 that's what I really like about this. It's like, oh, there's a great bit where he says, at the moment, I know it, it seems to be working, but I know it hates me enough to know that there's something within it that's going to break. It's just holding <laughs> it back. And that is just such a great, you know, if you've if you've ever done something where you're putting code on top of code on top of code on top of code, you know that somewhere along the line, something you've done right now, something is not going to interface with something, you've, and and, and it. It's great. I, I loved it. I, I think this is. And I think even at the time, I was very, very enamoured with any kind of design process um, because I think you know I, I've liked to create stuff, write stuff, make stuff all my life, sort of thing. And, and hearing someone do stuff, reading someone lay that process out was 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 just like, ah, oh, this is yeah, this is great. I loved it. I, I, I think it's a great feature, and a great article, and and really, like I said, I think it's really brave of Zap because I think Zap. Um, had a bit of maybe a, a bit of an image that they were just about well, just about playing games, isn't it? And that they were yeah. they were seen as this sort of like you know laddies sort of thing, just some teenage boys just playing games and writing loads of stuff. And and they were seen as they were, I think they were looked down upon by other um, magazines. They said they said crash that thing by commonly used Spectrum users, CBG, like well you don't include type of ups and stuff. You're not proper magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they responded in a way that went actually you know what this is way more interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I imagine sort of thing that there was some probably someone that coming to you going, ah, oh, crap. Why don't we think of that? <laughs> yeah. It's it's much much more interesting for you know anybody reading it because it. I, I don't care for typing ups because they're crap mostly. You know, yeah. you type them in, they won't work or they'd be rubbish. This, yeah. however, it 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 personalised the the aspect of game creation, whereas before it had been completely anonymous. Uh, yeah, it's great. I love it. I yeah. loved it. And and my final thought with it was. Um, that it also gave a really strong notion of the singular vision that was behind Paradroid from day one. So that game never really changed in its design. And his, his design was to set out to do a sort of high-tech game featuring robots. Yeah. And and you know he had that in his he had that plan from day one. It was always going to be that. It was not his plan. In, in, even in the little section that's the thinking behind the game, he he says right from the get-go, this you know, Gribbly was a nice game. This is going to be a tech game. No, this is that was yeah. going to be family fun. This is tech, tech and robots and stuff. And he, you know, he stuck to that. You know, completely, so completely. In fact, that you know, even now thinking about that and thinking about that first time you load Paradroid up and and you're hearing those robot sounds and seeing all that, it's just it's an astonishing achievement. And to be able mm-hmm. to stick to your vision of a game, because you and I both know we've worked on all sorts of different projects in our time. Um, sometimes these things just take a turn, or you get interventions, or people get in the way, or situations change. You know how you how you do something, and the game can go from being um, plan A to being plan B, or you have to compromise on certain things. And the Commodore sixty four, in terms of programming, it was all about compromise. 
mm-hmm. because it was a com- it, you were working under complete restraint all the time, not just in terms of memory, but the amount of things that could go on on the screen, the amount of processing time you had, and all of that, and all of the above. And so you've got not just the consideration of how you do things, but how you're going to get it in the game and how you're going to fit it in and what you're going to have to lose in order to win something else. And uh, this no comp- that no compromise approach, because what Braybrook did, as we'll see as this goes on, or as we as it goes on, is he found ways to make it happen. He just he just did. He just thought, right, I'm going to code my way out of this. And it's very rare that programmers do that. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I mean, I speak from my own experience. Something where you have you want something to be a certain way, and when you want something to be a certain way, it is like there's no other way. It's going to happen no matter how much you bang your head against it. You eventually get there. And this is great to read, you know, his, his you know, that, that process in 1985. You know, it just, you know, in, in today's era of, you know, you know, a thousand people working on a game sort of thing, this kind of singular vision is probably incredibly rare. Um, and, and, and I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's still a great read. And it's knowing the end product, you know, I wonder what would have happened sort of thing if the end products had been crap. Yeah, <laughs> whether we'd look on this and go, oh God, what was he on about? Uh, turns out it wasn't. So you know, um, but no, it is a great feature, and it's a it's a great ongoing feature, and it's one they do revisit with um, other developers as well. And I think Zap hit on a on a really good idea here. I mean, you know, it's just it's early Twitch, you know, and stuff. It's early streaming your yes, code coding processes. Is. This is what it is. Yeah. It's people putting stuff up on Twitter. Look what I've done today. This is what I've done. I've worked on this and. This is your early examples of that. So that's our feature, the uh, birth of Paradroid. It's a great feature. Uh, if you can get these apps, go read it. It's good. Now, there we go. That's our feature section. Uh, on that, we'll move on into uh, our last selection of games from this issue. Okay, thank you very much. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are in our final section of games. Um, <clears throat> we've got three left um, from this issue of Zap64 to uh, have a look at. Um, and the first one we're going to look at uh, is one I couldn't actually get to run. So <laughs> I did watch a YouTube play of it, which is, we all know in these days and age, it's just as good as playing it. <laughs> um, um, so, but hey-ho. Uh, so that first game, and I really did want to play this, uh, but it's Conan. Yeah, um, you really so Conan, didn't. <laughs> Conan, no, I really did. Um, Conan, for I, I don't know, I'm not, it's not for my sins. I don't care. Conan the Barbarian is still my, is still one of my favorite, if not probably my favorite film of all time. For whatever reason, it's just amazing. And I really wanted to see what a C64 version of Conan was like. Um, and so I was disappointed when I couldn't get it to run. You did get it to run though. I did. Um, and so, um, so Graham, tell us tell us all about Conan, the uh, C sixty four game. So you play Conan in the game. The idea is that you uh, explore platforms and collect stuff in order to get to the top of the platform, to climb ladders essentially, to get to the top of the platform, to go across, to get to the next screen where there's more ladders, more hazards, as in the form of bats. <laughs> that's the I game. I remember that in Conan the Barbarian. That's yeah, very that's, similar. That's exactly what happens in Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> that's that. That is the, essentially the game. Now, how that. Um, relates to Conan the Barbarian, I don't know. The sprites in the game are tiny, which kind of undermines the massiveness of Conan the Barbarian, being a (laughs) giant muscular barbarian. 
Um, because if this is based on anything to do with Conan and the, whether it's the Savage Sword of Conan or whether it's the Conan films or whatever, for, for reasons that I'm not sure of, apart from the fact that it must be just convenient in terms of being able to create a game up that's on platforms, um, they turned what is a uh, fighting fantasy sword and sorcery adventure series into a boring platform climb, climb the ladders game with really tiny sprites and really weird colour schemes. Um, the opening level was purple and green tree sprite trees in the background and the whole game had a kind of purpley green colour scheme going toward going for it. Almost two two or three colours really, not massively colourful. The animation on the main sprite kind of perfunctory because it was so tiny and it was it was quite buggy and flickery as well. That could have just been the fact that the game was perhaps buggy and flickery or I was running it on an emulator so it might just be something to do with that. But it held no fascination for me um, in terms of it being about Conan and it also featured really 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 savagely annoying enemies like the bats that just follow you around but it's, it's sort of like it was like Load Runner without any people in it just a one bat that follows you around and just gets in the way <laughs> it's not that particularly difficult to avoid but getting up the ladders had to be pixel perfect and so you found yourself sort of jumping past them and not being able to quite get to them and the controls became a little bit you know fighting against the controls what it wasn't was me going into a headlong battle with lots of you know uh, monsters and enemies and any of any kind so I didn't see any other. I mean, it might maybe in the later levels, if you progress that far, you might get other enemy types of some description. I just encountered a bat, um, and it just felt like someone had thrown it together without much care. And certainly, they'd never in their lives, other than heard the <laughs> words Conan, never read or seen or anything to do with it, because you know it just seemed to be it minimised the entire experience and turned what could have been a great idea for a game. If you'd have just take you know just make it into something more than running up and down ladders why that for a conan game i don't know i am um, like i said i did i, I did a quick look on youtube sort of things so I, I couldn't play it um would i be right in saying that this bears some similarity to bruce lee and the goonies yes it looked exactly it looked like a purple version of them yes yes um, actually bruce yeah lee, bruce lee is very small sprites couple of sprites yeah. lots of ladders running around and couple, way better you know, um obviously way better sort of thing um i mean I was thinking, this led me to thinking about Bruce Lee sort of thing, and just as an aside, and the way that Bruce Lee has a, a sumo. It's a, it's a ninja and a sumo coming after you, doesn't it, sort of thing? Yeah. I, I thought sumos were, were not particularly aggressive. The only aggressive <laughs> sumo I know of is in uh, uh, Man with the Golden Gun, um, uh, the, the Roger Moore, James Bond film, where he you know, overcomes him by twisting his uh, pants too hard. Um <laughs> <laughs> which is always the way to overcome a sumo. Um, I've lived my life by that motto, and I've never been bested by a sumo to this day. Um, so, yeah, it looked to me like someone had seen Bruce Lee and 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 made that, remade that with a Conan a variant. That's, I don't know, is that right? Is that be, Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's, that's a fe- actually a very fair assumption, only nowhere near as much fun with the graphics that were nowhere near as good. And um, just... Overall, very yeah, dull. Because remember, Goonies had the sort of two character mechanic, didn't it? You could split characters. Yes. And you had to use two characters to you solve did. the puzzles. You did, yeah. Um, and in Bruce Lee, was was kind of innovative and new, and you would be chased by those characters. This just, yeah, it didn't look great. Um, no. And it's a shame, really, because I imagine Conan, I mean, a few years later, sort of thing, we're going to get Barbarian by Palace. Yeah. But it's really, you could just stick Conan at the front of that. Yeah. Because essentially, I mean, Barbarian nicks the moves from the Conan films, doesn't it? For, for rotoscoping, if I remember rightly, doesn't it? Um, I think it did. Um, but yeah, shame. I did want to play this, but 
Sounds like I, I, I dodged a bullet. Yeah, you did. And just one final thing. I don't know why they did this, but you've this sword that you fire is actually like a boomerang. So you fire this fire this sword and it flies back to your hand a bit like a boomerang. <laughs> Why do, I don't know why they did that. I know, and it's not. We're not that far off from um, Ghosts and Goblins, where you know, if you're going to have a game where you're running around climbing up and down ladders and shooting things, do it like that, right? So, I mean, you've not read Robert E. Howard's Conan the Conan the Boomerang. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really want to now. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's his, that's the most popular Conan tale. I'm surprised you've missed it. Um, it's Conan Down Under. Just, you know, and also, just, to, I suppose, a final, final note, pick your colour scheme when you make a game, all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pick it your colour scheme. Don't make it, if you're going to have trees, don't make them purple, green and brown. Those three colours have never been used to any great effect in any game, as far as I'm aware. No, and not, I, think, I think the idea of the purple was meant to be kind of mystical purple. I don't know, I don't know. You know, games do use that, that kind of wizardy games do tend to use that colour a bit. But this is just rubbish and no... Um, I'm not sure if the two designers who made this game did any others, but probably not after that. Yeah, it's a shame as well because um, you know we are big Conan fans. Yes, um, absolutely. You know, yeah. ba- 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 barbarian, anyway, not Destroyer. <laughs> I quite like Destroyer in its own crazy way. But um, right. and on that note, on that note, I'm moving. I'm moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> I won't hear good things said about Destroyer. Similarly, I won't hear good things said about Operation Swordfish. No. Uh, which is our next game. Um, Operation Swordfish, I don't know, it's like a cr- crap section of Beachhead. It, it's exactly that. I mean, that was my notes. If they've just taken a, <laughs> they've taken a chunk out of Beachhead and made it into this, I'm like, I've just, it's just nicked. <laughs> just blatantly nicked it and, it and not very well. No, I put, my notes are slow, turgid, dull and unintelligible. Yeah. Um, I, I should know if what I'm doing is doing anything, and I did not. That is bad. Yes. Um, I couldn't figure out if I was shooting the boats, but essentially Operation Swordfish is, but it's, it's, I, I, I don't know if you're a sub or a, a boat or whatever you are, but you're, you're, there's, there's boats. Big old you, cannons. You've got, you've got a big circle you're looking through, which I presume is supposed to be maybe a periscope or something. I don't know if, uh, if I was looking at it right. I can't remember. That's, I maybe wiped a lot of this game from my mind for, for sanity reasons. Uh, but there were boats moving from right to left. You would move a cursor towards them and press the button. Then your cursor would jump back to the bottom. And I didn't know if I'd shot at them. Um, and I didn't know if if I'd... And then st- randomly they would blow up. Ugh. You just, you know, you just look at these games. You look at things like Gribblies and, um, you know, Entombed even sort of thing and Drop Zone and, and what the last game we're going to look at tonight sort of thing. And you, then you look at this and it's like, what was what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 why would anyone think? I mean, you know, we'd had a, you know, in America two years prior sort of thing, we'd had a huge, you know, the huge crash because of an, an avalanche of shit software. Yeah, and this is just that again. We just—I'm surprised we didn't have a huge crash in the mid-eighties in the UK, you know, because you look at some of the shovelware and it's dreadful. I would be put off buying any games again for my Commodore sixty-four if I'd bought. If I went out one day and bought Hunchback at the Olympics, Conan, Operation Swordfish, um, uh, and uh, Circus Circus, I, I'd be—I'd be questioning my life choices. Yeah. Well. You're coming to the end. You really around this time, maybe towards the end of 1985, but around this time, you're actually coming to the end of this era of stupid games that people just released because they wanted to cash in on the games craze. 
Yeah. Um, so and so it starts to come on end because games actually start to become a bit of an art form and people start to take them more seriously and spots where publishers start to hire good programmers and graphic designers start to make a name and musicians step in and and it's in this sort of pre pubescent area of the games industry in terms of its um Commodore 64 anyway um, there was still that you know in the magazines that adverts there's still quite a lot of those listings for mul- lots of multi games on a tape and, and there's still mm. that little bit of yeah, you there know, and there's still a few home coded games out there that are creeping into the you know the, the world and gradually they do disappear but you get the odd legacy one and this one just blatantly rips off Beachhead in a way that surprised me that you know um, if I, again as we've discovered with other games of this sort of rip off type if I want to play that I just go and play Beachhead I don't need to and why Operation Swordfish, anyway? But <laughs> anyway, just it's just I just, yeah. put, I just put it was rip-off nonsense, and I don't, you know, I, I have no time for it. If you're going to play a game, you're going to go to the effort of making a game, make your own. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't just rip off something. And, and, no. and, and you know, like I said earlier, early on, there was the um, what was the other one? The, the, the no, one of the first ones we Amazon, talked about today. Amazon Warriors. Well, not the Amazon Warrior. Uh, Cyphoid 9, which yeah. seemed to rip off Beachhead as well. Yes, yes, it did, yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got two games here, something that seemed to rip off, you know, a much, much better game. Um, and Beachhead was was great still, but yeah. these are awful. Well, yeah, and it's, and and when we say rip off, this isn't just them using it as a thematic but template, boilerplate for it. It just rips it off completely. It's the same yeah. It's the same sort of cannon at the bottom. It's shooting at the same kind of aeroplanes. They Aeroplanes animate in the same way. The ships sail across yeah. in the same way. This is that level from Beachhead ripped off and... And I, you know, again, I'm getting in my time machine right now. And Operation Swordfish, <laughs> you're yeah. on my list. <laughs> I think the thing is as well, something. I mean, these. I think there was just such a a, a a demand for anything to release. There was, you know, people were seeing there was gold in them that hills. Yes, absolutely. And just throw 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 games out, and and so people were just probably making stuff in their bedroom and knocking shit together. Yeah. And then people were like, you know, and then somewhere along the line, you know, people were going like, oh, we'll just yeah, we'll publish that. Yeah. yeah. It's like Tim loves cricket. Yeah. No one loves cricket like Tim does. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Rubbish. Chicken Chase um, was another one. Oh, no, no, sorry, Circus yeah. Circus. Was, oh, and uh, things like that. Don't you know, just, that. Yeah, they, but that's what I mean. They're just for me. These are in that pot, the same pot. You know, if you if, if you're going to go to the effort of making some, make it original. If you're going to rip somebody yeah. off, you know, they're lucky they did it at this time. Because can you imagine if I made? No, I'm going to make a game called, you know, Holo. It's like Halo, exactly the same as Halo. <laughs> I'm just going to need one level from Halo and call it Holo. Or call it Operation Swordfish. I may as well for the difference it makes. <laughs> you, know, you, just can't, you can't imagine it, can you? you know, you, I can't just take somebody's game level and go, I'm making making my own version of that and just put my own graphics on it. No, 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 no. The maturity of the industry isn't at that place. It's, you know, we're talking toddlers. These are the toddlers of the toddler steps that we're making here, really, in these early games. This, don't get me wrong, these giant leaps that get made. But you know, like you said, very very adequately, uh, sorry, accurately. That in the background, there's still that idea that there's gold in the hills, and you know, anyone can release a piece of shit like this game, and somebody will buy it. Enough people will buy it to make a few quid. Well, no, yeah. And fully enough, that is a philosophy that that reared its ugly head again in mobile games, in modern mobile gaming. Oh, absolutely, its head. yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, that's a that's a debate for another time. But um, Absolutely, yeah. But, yeah. Let's not get into that one because we'll be here all, all we'll forever. Be here for, that's it for the next <laughs> 10 years. Uh, <laughs> the, next thing on the, the next thing on iPhone Arcade was when they made... No. <laughs> Classic clans. Oh. <laughs> uh, right, let's move on. Okay, we've got one last game.
Um, I'm not sure there is actually that much to say about this one. Um, it got a sizzler, um, and it's Boulder Dash 2. What do you say about Boulder Dash 2? Well, it's more Boulder Dash. It's just more Boulder Dash, and I think that was the that was the even though it was a sizzler, that was their not criticism, but that was their kind of shot across the bow. You know, we'll give this a sizzler this time, but do something a bit more. You know, do something else with it. But yeah, my argument is with the Boulder Dash games, they are just ace. They're perfect. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're perfectly. They're just, perfect. There's, what do you want? To, anything you add to them is almost diluting the the perfect design. Yeah, just simple, playable, fast, fun, challenging. Yeah. You know, annoying. Really, really annoying. This one because because the original like it's not like um, you had a thousand levels in the first one. You had sixteen levels and four bonus levels. Mm. Um, so it wasn't like they were they were huge. I think this is only you know, another you fifteen. Them I think. As you went on. You want to say again, sorry? I think this is only another 15 levels. Yeah, so but that's what I'm saying. So it's not like, oh, well, it's you know, we're just getting tired of this sort of thing. But it's it's still another 15 levels of Boulder Dash. Yeah. Boulder Dash is great. Yes. You know, the the moving through the my first my first attempt, I put it on sort of thing. I want I moved downwards, I moved to the right, <laughs> I got crushed by a boulder immediately. And yeah. I was like, oh god, yeah, it's Boulder Dash. Yeah. Physics. Remember the physics. Yeah. And for that point on, I was back in it, sort of thing, and it was great. Yeah. Um, you know, killing the fireflies and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, what do you say? You know, it's it's one of those perfect design templates that was like, you know, Paradoid. I imagine that the, whoever designed the, the, the original Boulder Dash knew exactly what they wanted to do. They probably had a few, you know, a few ideas, but was thing digging through dirt, finding diamonds with physics for boulders that drop. Yeah. What did more do you want? Perfectly lovely designed levels. They're great. It's yes. just I well, love Boulder Dash. Do you know what? There's, I mean, technically, this game is incredible for its time. I mean, it really is. Yeah, it really is. This is yeah. this is this is a really really well engineered game. It's I mean, it's like we said about the Braybrook game, Gribbler's Death. It's polished. It's finished. It feels it. Yeah, so, it does. And so, um, but actually, there's also there's a lot more to this game in terms of its strategy than it's just first appears. It's not a game you can just run through. And expect to really serve. You can try it that way if you want, but you have to really think about where you're going to drop them boulders on them butterfly things, and what you're going to do, uh-huh. and what sort of route you're going to take past them because they are going to follow you, and they are going to be a real pain, and you are going to die if you don't think about what you're going to do with them. And I and I genuinely like it, and I think um, as with Boulder yeah. Dash Two, this is actually I think if if it's even possible, it's a it runs a bit slicker on the C64, so there's. It's just, it seems, even though it seems to look the same, I think it actually, the graphics on the main screen are a bit better. It, the main sprite is a little bit more defined. It runs, just runs faster, a little bit faster. I think they just got a little bit more power under the hood in terms of yeah. of it. And I think, and it shows in the way it plays. But what's the fault about it? It's the, the Boulder Dash games are just really great games. And what surprises me is, that are there modern Boulder Dash games? Do they, have they ever been converted as the guy that did this? Oh, the people who there made is. this, I think know, there, there must is, be I think, some, surely. I think, I think if you look at games like, um, I, I mean, it's not one-for-one one sort of thing, but if you look at games like Spelunky yeah, um, and, and that kind of underground exploration with boulders and stuff, and like that, there, you could probably draw lineage back through through Spelunky. I know, I know it's got its roguelike elements and stuff in Spelunky, and this is more, more designed. But it's still that you're pushing stuff around and you're, you're dropping stuff on stuff, and you 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 know you're trying to work out a way through. There is there is elements of that in there. So there there, there is. I mean I mean to be fair, sort of thing for me, Boulder Dash was always uh, always was then went on to influence the Mister Driller games. Yeah. 
um, and things like that. But 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 it's a it's a design masterclass. Yes, Boulder Dash because everything works with everything else perfectly. There's no. It's again like I said, sort of thing. Um, I can't remember what game I said it about, sort of thing. But it's a it's a game where you die because of your errors. Yes. Not because the game is cheap, not because the game mucks you around. It's because you didn't plan well enough. Yes. And you didn't react quick enough, and you made the mistake. This is your yes. fault. You died. Yes. And, and and that is perfect game design. It's yeah. what you know. It's what what works with Mario platformers. You died because you made a mistake, not because the game was cheap. And there are some cheap elements in parts of Mario. So I think there are some elements, something which are thingy. But but Boulder Dash is not like that. No. Um, it, it is entirely your fault if you die. You know. Yes. Every game. It, and I think that's one of the perfect. That's one of the brilliant things about it. It's like that first level on the on this. You know, you've got to blow that firefly up to get to destroy the wall. Yeah, to get through. Um, to get through, and then you've got to. Then I went through it sort of thing and dropped a boulder into the magic wall, without digging the ground out underneath. And then I, I you know, I, I stuck myself because I couldn't get enough diamonds. I was yeah. like, ah, oh. but that was my fault. <laughs> All my fault. The game is the Boulder Dash games are, 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 are perfect. You know design template sort of thing that yeah and i think if you zap going which is more bolder i'm like yeah i'm exactly like you yeah so (laughs) yeah and you know this is this is up down left and right this is basic game control stuff right this isn't complex controls this isn't press the fire button and move left and it does this it does that it's up down left and right this is this is you you can hold the fire button to push stuff yeah yeah so you can push the rocks but i mean it's just that kind of push pull move around a bit and avoid yeah. um it's it there is influences in there from the arcade you know it's got hints of mr do it's got hints of dig dug it's got little borrows yeah. from them but it takes the best elements of those and it puts them into these so the idea that the the enemies follow you around there's a bit of pengo in there as well and there's just little hints of little games yeah. so this person's been this person designed this has played those games and thought i like that mechanic there i like that bit there i like that and hasn't as we've discovered in some of these other games, thrown them in, put them in top of a guy with a helicopter on top of his head and you know, made some kind of inexplicable game choices that don't really add up. He's just kept the simple ones in and said, right, the player's got to figure this out. And I really, really like it. I like Boulder Dash. Yeah. I like all the Boulder Dash games. And this particular one I found really, really playable and challenging. I was on it for hours. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it is great. And I think as well, let's let's not talk, let's not demean the technical aspects of it. That this is all character based. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, and the this, you know, it's, it's a zoomed in part of the screen to be. And, and if you count the the, it's forty characters across by however many characters down. It's simply one screen of a Commodore yep. Commodore display zoomed in. Yep. And it's just characters zoomed in characters. It's, it, that to me is like when I first, when I found that out because I didn't know that at first. Mm. Um, but when I found that out, I was like, "That is so clever!" And yeah. he does they do so much in that forty characters by what is what is the down size of his Commodore screen? How many how many how many characters down? Twenty odd, twenty six, thirty. I don't, like off the top of my head, I can't remember, but yeah, I think it's 40 like across, isn't it? Yeah, like, it's, 40, so it's 40, 40 in medium by, mode, yeah, it's 40 across, I think. Yeah, 40 characters across by like 30 down, whatever it is, sort of thing. And just to create these levels in that space is great. It's it's it's, it's a brilliant achievement, a brilliant yeah. achievement. Um, and, I, you know, it's like anything with the Boulder Rush games. Like, I love the, um, the intro to each 40 level. 40 by 25, I think, isn't it? 
40 by 25, the intro to each level, that with everything yeah. sort of revealing itself as it scrolls across. Yeah. And you're kind of getting hints and glimpses of the level, like going, oh, God, I'm going to get through that bit. Where's Stone? It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's fabulous. It's There's so much good stuff in this game. Um, and it is, yeah. yeah I, 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 it's an amusing sort of thing that I wrote. It, what, what can you say about Baldash 2 is my only comment, and we've said loads. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's bold. Is it Boulder Dash Two? Rockford, is it Rockford's Revenge? Is that what it's called? No, no, no. Is that the American name? Because is it an American Rockford. game? Was it released in America first and then here? Yeah, yeah first star, I think, are an American. Yeah, that's right. Um, American company. So it's um, first star software. So I think it's it's Boulder Dash Two Rockford's Revenge, Rockford's Riot. Yeah, I don't know. It's Boulder. I think the important thing is it's more Boulder Dash. Yeah, it was. It's just a you know they had a, they hit a winning formula in game one. And they just made more of the same game too. I like that about it, though. I think the thing is as well that, but just as a just as a sort of a wrap up on Boulder Dash sort of thing, I discovered Boulder Dash on a Turbo tape, completely anonymously, oh, wow. and I had no and I had no idea what it was. Um, it was just in amongst a load of other games, and I remember me and my brother just going through this tape and finding finding games, and there was a load of crap there. And then we booted up Boulder Dash, and I'm pretty sure my, me and my brother were, were were playing this for the better part till about five six o'clock in the morning. The original Boulder Dash, and it, because it was just, it was so head and shoulders above everything else um, <laughs> in, in 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 everything about it, sort of thing. It was one of those, you know, as soon as you started playing it, and as soon as you went through that first maze, trying to get the diamonds, and then trying to ace it, trying to speed run it, and trying to get faster and more diamonds and more time and get better score by doing it. it yes, and that's the other clever thing about it, you know, the way it challenges you to do it faster. Boulder yeah. Dash is ace. It is, and do you know, uh, after a quick search, um, the last Boulder Dash game that was made was in 2016. Oh. Not by the well, same technically people. The, well, technically, the last Boulder Dash game was made in 2018 because I made one. Did you? Oh, you did? I've made one in Unity. I've never released it, but I've, I've remade Boulder was Dash in Unity. Rubble yeah. Sprint. <laughs> uh, uh, no, it's called Dashing Boulders. <laughs> Which is fair. <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remade it. I remade it. Actually, uh, sprite accurate. It is exactly a recreation of, course, of the Boulder Dash. You know, we'll come for a laugh. We'll come. We'll come to it later down the line. Obviously, there's more sequels to come in the whole Boulder Dash franchise. There but is, but yes. there's a particularly brilliant title in the Boulder. I'm not going to say it now because we'll come to it when we do later in the essay. But there's a particularly brilliant Boulder Dash title, which even now um, makes me makes me think of how much fun we had with that particular title. Mm. The mystery will stuff. be revealed later. Not now, though. Many, many times. <laughs> many years ago. Years later. Not now. Not now. There we go. So so that's it. That's our coverage of the games in this uh, issue of uh, Zap64, that's uh, for July 1985. Um, Just before we move into the crapverts, I just round up the games we've looked at. So we've looked at Drop Zone, Roland's Rat Race, Cyphoid 9, Kickstart, Knockout, Chicken Chase, um, Strange Loop, Amazon Warrior, Circus Circus, Entombed, Taskmaster, and Whirly Nerd. Um, We've looked at Gribbly's Day Out, Hunchback at the Olympics, Ghetto Blaster, Conan, Operation Swordfish, and Boulder Dash 2. Um, as ever, we're going to try and pick probably three games. I don't think we'll have much trouble here that we would recommend you go back and look at. Um, do you want to go first? Uh, go f- drop yeah. Zone, without a doubt. Straight off the get back. Okay. Drop Zone for me. Damn you, you picked it. Um, I'm going to go with... 
probably kickstart. Yes, I would agree. I think that's a very good choice. And I think um, um, third game, I would suggest, um, because I really like it, I would suggest Boulder Dash 2. Because I would, I would because too. Because I don't I think would, you I can ever think, go wrong with it. No, I think we would have got into a massive argument if you hadn't said that just then. <laughs> <laughs> no, Boulder Dash 2. Pat me thought for a minute about, you know, we, haven't met, we didn't put Gribblers in there and we didn't put Entombed. But do you know what? There's better games to come from those, but Boulder Dash 2 is ace. So you can, I, I think, at this I point think the two time, we put... So, I think we've got a really, really good shoot 'em up. Probably the pinnacle shoot 'em up on the C64 at this point. Yeah. In the entertainment drop zone, we've got a really, really good party game, yeah. not unusual, which is you know, which is uh, you know, start of the trials yeah. game and a cheap one and, uh, and a cheap one. Yeah, and we've got a really, really good sort of explorer puzzly strategy thing. Yeah. It's really hard to pigeonhole Polder Dash Two, and I think you know. I think that shows off what the C64 was really capable of at this yes. point in time. And I think that's three games. If you go play those three games, you're not going to go wrong. No. They're great. All um, of them. And as far as the um, the Tomb of the Damned of the games that should never, ever come out, I'm afraid <laughs> okay. Hunchback at the Olympics is going in there. Circus Circus is going in there. And for me, you know what? I'm not going to put Ghetto Blaster in there because I think it probably was made with the right intent just no I wouldn't put that in there but definitely it's not, it's, not a, it's not a bad game no it's just but, questionable but hunch back at the Olympics most definitely um, and mm. I think I have to say Amazon Warrior get in the get in the tomb because you're just ripping other people off and same with that other rip off game in fact any of the games that rip off they automatically go in anyway because they're, they're <laughs> sword, set, sword, yeah, they're, swordfish and yeah, sci-foid now yeah they're set for time they're set for time erasure once I've got my time machine working um, those, <laughs> I, think Amazon, I think I would put Amazon Warrior just because of how angry it made yes, me yeah I agree yeah just be, anything, so it's a rip off game if it's a blatant rip off steal actually not just a rip off stealing someone's other game idea and game graphics and everything mm. you're going in the tomb so you know a knockout, circus, of course. In fact, well. in fact, everything that was rubbish in... <laughs> everything by the three we've said, <laughs> yeah. just go plot. Well, no, 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 Strangely, it's not bad. Strangely, and, and... Tombed was okay, you know, but Taskmaster had its moments, but no, the ones that were really obviously bad, Hunchback at the Olympics, get in the, get in the tomb. Operation Swordfish, get in that tomb. Cyphoid <laughs> 9, tomb. Knockout, tomb. And um, Amazon Warrior, Circus Circus, tomb, tomb, done. There you go. Okay, we're not. Yeah, we'll throw away the key to that too. Yes, absolutely. But, but go play it. But, but yeah, so our recommendation. So Zap to the Past recommendation for uh, issue issue three of Zap are Drop Zone, Kickstart, and Boulder Dash Two. Good choices. Uh, Good with, choices. With honourable mentions to probably Entombed and Gribblers. Yeah. Uh, here we go. All right. So before we round up and wrap out and wrap out of here, so I think we're going to look at a couple more crapverts. We looked at Ghetto Blaster and Doughboy last time. Uh, our next one to look at is from game board to keyboard, <laughs> Monster Trivia. What's up with that monster? <laughs> what is got that? got a lot of books. What I is that? We, what, uh, before we go on, before we do anything sort of thing, to, just, to describe this, just to, just to look at what looks like a really confused and slightly scared monster with a New York Mets. Is that a New York Mets cap I think on? so, yeah. With, with bright yellow hair. And for, and he's holding an American football, and for some reason he's got a belt with kiss on it. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Coming out of a cave, I don't with get a, it. With a projector and some books and a bad painting. I don't get I it. Don't... This goes in the US Gold archive of weird adverts that mean nothing. <laughs> um, I don't. No. What do, I don't even know. There's a screeger of it. I can't even tell what's going on. But it's also you'll notice that Super Huey and. Um, 
Richard, Richard Petty's Petty, Talladega, Talladega. Uh, uh, both and advertised it, on the same one. But that monster is, it looks a bit like, uh, do you remember? Um, um, I do recognise it from Summit. It reminds me of, um, the, the, what was it, who was it who did How Far to Hitchin? Um, I don't know. Oh, it was, a, I, was th- I can't remember what it was, called. Gilbert, it reminds me of a bit of an angry Gilbert. Oh, right, yeah. I was thinking it looked like something from uh, uh, Monster Club. It's not that. It's too good for Monster Club, really. <laughs> it's not a you it's, it's, Well, it's, it's, it's got... It's not a Shadmock. I mean, what's, what's also... You know, no, it's not. It's got it's got far too much monster about it. It's not just a mask. <laughs> a really cheap mask from It's also, from, from it's the also shop. got four legs. Oh, and they've just noticed that. It's got four legs and it's kind of a grass skirt on. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and, and is, that, is that his ribs... Or is he just is what's got? I don't know. And it's got a medallion. And it's got a really weird right arm that seems to have more joints than it should. <laughs> Compared to his left arm, yeah. it's, it's all bad. It's, it's, bad. it's all bad. It's, it's the expression on his face, like he's like he's seen something that he shouldn't have. <laughs> it's just it's just weird. Let's move on because next up we've got muscles. <laughs> um, oh, and we've talked about this in the in the episode. Um, so the next advert is Amazon Warrior. Um, so the, it, 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 at the top it says, run for your life with Amazon Warrior. And there's some bats <laughs> and a spider and some thingy. And then there is a picture of the titular Amazon Warrior. And what this is, is like somebody's described what muscles should look like on a person. Yeah. Um, to someone who's never actually seen anyone with muscles. Yes. And then only seen someone who's about 80 years old with muscles. Yes, they... Um, they start- these have been well. <laughs> these have been weather browned. <laughs> yeah, they they start with the best of intentions. The neck, they go as far down as the chest and shoulders and biceps. There, I say, and then from there down, it all gets a bit peculiar. It's like he's had some kind of surgery, and his There's abdominal that- muscles have gone all over the shop. There's anatomically questionable ridges. Yes, <laughs> I think is the way. I can't describe it any better. No. Um, it- it's you know it's a recognisable human figure, but that middle section and just the the amount of creases on him. He's <laughs> creasy and greasy. <laughs> and um... weren't they the football pundits in the eighties? <laughs> yeah, they were. It's, and, and he's wearing a leopard a leopard skin thong, want of a better description, and carrying oh. and carrying a very small man spear, which yeah. it just seems to be under undersized. Um, uh, it's, it's just bad, isn't and, it? Yeah, and then uh, this, it just reminded me, for some reason, of Billy from Predator. <laughs> <laughs> so they could have just named this Billy's Adventure. Because, you, you know... B- Billy Warrior. <laughs> yeah, because he could have just gone off and done stuff in Predator, and this game would have been... You know, that's set in the jungle. This would have been a better title for this game, you know, The Adventures of Billy from Predator. Um because he kind of ends up dressed like that, apart from the leopard skin thong. Um, he has a big whopping knife like he's got, and, you know... That is true. So, you know, I just think... Um, I'll tell, you know, tell you what I also don't like about this advert as well. It's the use of triangles. Yeah, um, I saw that there's, about. A tri- there's triangles at the top with Run For Your Life. It's like a yellow triangle at the bottom. There is the new generation software at the bottom, which is in the triangle. And then there's these two weird red triangles sort of, uh, yeah. in you know, accentuating the text. Why is four... Outside of the triangle. (laughs) Even the Amazon writing's kind of triangly as well. Yeah, he's a triangle. It is. Bad advert for a bad game. Yeah, and that doesn't look like it features much about the Amazon, really, there. Forest Warrior. (laughs) Or maybe Forest of Doom. Oh, why don't you just call it what it is? (laughs) Forbidden Forest, right? 
However, as bad as this may look, sort of thing, this is like a Boris Vallejo picture when you compare it to our next one, which is the uh, advert for Knockout. And I can't even begin on this one. I don't know which bit to start with. I don't um, know. It made me laugh. What <laughs> t- tickled me straight off the bat is that I didn't realise that you were playing, the play was called Slugger Sam. And it's looking, it says looking for that killer punch, but the Italian stallion is ducking and weaving like a ballerina. None of those things happen in that game. And there it is, the famous joystick shuffle. Slugger <laughs> hits the canvas. One, two, three, four, five, seven, nine, and out. The stallion wins and can now go to the challenge for heavyweight title. What was he in if he was fighting? What English is this? Anyway, it says better than a ringside seat be there in the ring. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, it's, they've gone into pirate talk. Yeah, be there in the ring, swapping <laughs> pictures. Better than a ringside but, seat. But never feeling a thing. Box clever with knockout, the fight game of the century. That's no. quite the claim, considering they've got you know twenty, so fifteen years left of the century. Yeah, um, and what made me laugh is that are you the micro, the microweight champion <laughs> of Britain? No one wants to be the microweight champion, right? I mean, but let's, it, let's, <laughs> no, they don't. Let, let's talk about the human figures in this uh, picture. We've talked about the words. It's a big, big old knockout across the top. But let's talk about the boxer in the background and in his lack of net. Something, <laughs> something's gone horribly wrong. And I, for some, is is uh, this? This makes me think of some kind of eighties body horror. Well, yeah. Um, is he meant to be? What's going on with What's going on with the top of that left arm? Um, I think there's a mutation. Okay. And <laughs> um, he's again. They've drawn. They've over muscled him. It's like he's got. It's just, you know, and again, his right arm is. Sorry, his, yeah, his right arm's quite powerful and strong, and his left arm looks kind of weedy and not quite up to the challenge. He's like a fiddler crab. But the both the, the both arms go into his head, rather than yes. like his shoulder. Yeah, he's, he's they've just they've drawn the body and then realised that they needed to draw a head, I think. And the shadowing um, on it's really weird as well because of the knockout right in behind. It's kind of made it weird. It is. It's not great, and and, that, and so and so he's so this character is this this I don't know this character of extreme oddness. He's looking down on a person that he's obviously knocked out. Um, again, <laughs> someone has described a human to the person who drew this, <laughs> but not, yeah. not in very. What's that lump? <laughs> Absolutely, and you know if we're talking about eighties games. And we're talking about the 1980s boxing. I don't think, and I could, and I'm not, I don't mean to sound particularly mean, but there weren't a lot of great white boxers at that time. There were not. So no, um, no so we're we're talking about you know why not put a black boxer on there you know because there was many of them at that time. Marvin Hagler was a really famous boxer, just one off the top of my head. There's loads of Sugar Ray Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard, Frank no. Bruno. Bruno, like Tyson. Tyson. There's, there's enough mileage there to have a bit of, you know, a bit of um, of, of diversity. But that side, if you're going to draw boxers, at least draw them anatomically correct. <laughs> I mean, and and and, uh, and that guy back there is some kind of he's a hunchback. Another hunchback. He's a hunchback, which is probably what they really meant with this game. They just thought there's enough hunchback games out there. We can't have hunchback boxing. Um, but, hunch out. Hunch out. Super hunch out. But they've knocked out. Um, they've knocked out the guy on the ground there. But he's not unconscious, is he? He's just he's just peeved. He's angry. You know, he's he's, he's looking kind of. I think what he's realised is that he should never have agreed to be the model for this game. Because you know, oh, it's not dear. great that you know. No, it's a bad. It's a oh, muscles. No. Um, 
I don't know if you want to say anything about Mama Llama. I just was on. All I wanted to talk about is why the llamas seem to have baby arms as ears. I don't get the obsession <laughs> with llamas. I don't think llamas that and llamas and camels make good games. I just don't. Um, and <laughs> that's never going to change. I think it's a bit weird. I think it's just, I don't know. I, 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 there must, is there something about these games that I don't, I'm missing or something? I mean, am I not getting, getting it? No, I no, just, you're not. I just, I think, um, I just, you know, they're all kind going, of arcade derivative, I suppose, but I just don't get them. I don't. What's going on with that ear, though, that's popping up on the on the two? Yeah. It's, one in the middle and one on the left. It's, it looks like, a, like I said, it looks like a baby's arm. Yeah, it, it's a bit... Really shiny. It's why they're really shiny well, llamas as well. Is that what llamas... What, yeah, they are they kind of glossed. No, do they? they? No, that, no. I don't know that they look like that from reality. I'm pretty sure a llama isn't isn't tan brown and covered in kind of what looks like varnish. Um, no. So no. Anyway, oh just it, I think it's just right. it, just mama rhymes with llama, doesn't it? So hey, let's make oh, a game. Absolutely, burn it, yeah. yeah. It's a it's the mama llama looking after the other yep. ones. Anyway, there are crapverts. Go look them out. Go go check them out. Monster trivia, Amazon warrior. Knockout. As for if you shove these into Google, they'll pop up a Mama Lama. Uh, we'll probably put some in our, in our on the website, um, and you can have a laugh at them as well. Hopefully, um, uh, quickly round up what was going on in the charts for the Commodore sixty four. Uh, our top ten. Uh, this is from uh, Commodore Video Games. Zap doesn't have an official sort of sales charts. I'm I'm curious as to know where they actually got these figures from because I don't think there was anything official back then. But hey ho, we'll just go with it. Uh, the Commodore sixty four top ten. For July 1985, according to uh, CMVG magazine, was uh, number 10 uh, was Brian Jackson's Superstar Challenge. Uh, in at no- uh, number 9, down from number 6, was Airwolf. Uh, number 8 was Grog's Revenge. Number 7, Will Series Baseball. Number 6, Entombed. Number 5 was Cauldron. 4, Impossible Mission. 3, International Basketball. 2 was Pit Stop 2, and 1, aptly uh, at this point sort of thing in the month of Live Aid, uh, was Soft Aid, uh, in at num- uh, straight in at, by the looks of it, at number 1. So that's quite was good. Was that a collection of games I think you could buy? It was, yeah. It had Star, it had Star Trade on it, which I played far, far more than I ever should have done. <laughs> um, it was basically Elite without the annoying stuff in it, and I loved it. Um, so, yeah, some good games in there. Um, some bad games. I mean, Entomb, we like we like Cauldron. We like we loved Impossible Mission, International yeah. Basketball and Pit Stop 2. Yeah. Um, so some good choices there by the, uh, the by Joe Public. Um, I think that's it, isn't it? That's it. That's everything. I think that's it. Yeah. Um, that's July 1985. Um, so, obviously, next month will be August. Um so join us then, where we will be looking at games from the August issue of Zap64, and those games will include such titles as Beachhead 2. Um, you've heard us mention, mention Beachhead a number of times. Now we've got the sequel. Um, we'll see how we get on with that. We'll be looking at uh, probably Fourth Protocol, uh, which I think uh, I seem to remember being quite an interesting game. Um, Commodore did International Tennis. We'll probably take a look at that. Um, we may also take a look at uh, what else we got down here. Uh, the Scrolls of Akbar Khan, <laughs> uh, or maybe that, that that might be an adventure game. I don't know. Uh, so we might have a look at that. We've got Rocky Horror Show, Stop the Express. That's a crowd that wanted it. It's bound to be. Yeah, I'm sure it is sort of thing. 
Uh, we'll also be taking a look at uh, Roger Moore's brown coat adventure. Oh, no. Uh, brown jacket adventure, View to a Kill. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, and, and probably rounding things off, we will be sampling the delights um, of Way of the Exploding Fist. Ooh. Um, so some really cracking titles there for uh, for uh, our next episode. So please join us on Zap to the Past. Uh, I've been Adrian Mills. I've been Graham Reddings. Yeah, and you've been listening to us. Uh, and for that, we can only apologise. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, sights, sounds and news from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap64 magazine published at the time. We will be back next week with another podcast, so do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You will also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time. <laughs>